Turn the calendar into April. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Really looking forward to this episode as we are jam-packed full of guests. You know what that means? That means less beaky between myself and the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. If we can keep this tight, we might be able to rein it into under three and a half hours. Just saying, because we've got a great, great uh, lineup for you. Joe Clark is one of the most fascinating people we've ever talked to on this program uh, from a mentorship, from a coaching, from a uh, just an inspirational standpoint. Uh, this is a conversation that you will listen to and just get sucked in deeper and deeper and deeper. And it is uh, beautiful. Uh, Eddie Lack, uh, former National Hockey Leaguer, now coaching uh, NCAA, uh, talks about coaching, talks about trading uh, teams or changing teams at, at the deadline, and uh, just a little bit of a, just an all-around good guy. Uh, not not just a little bit of an all-around good guy, a great guy and a, and a fun uh, ambassador, so to speak, uh, for the goaltending world. And he's always been great to In Goal Magazine. And uh, we have the uh, gear segment, which is going to deal with the true uh, launch of, uh, of their lineup of gear. The customizer is live. As we bring in uh, David and uh, Kevin, uh, that's the longest you guys have ever gone in an episode without talking. I apologize, but there's so much happening in this episode. It's the longest I've gone without talking in general. <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. We turn it over to Kevin Woodley for the remainder of this episode. Well, let's start actually by just turning it over to Kevin Woodley for a quick chat about the hockey shop and the launch of the true powered by Lefebvre. I guess it's just true by Lefebvre line of equipment. Um, you've seen it in the national hockey league a lot. Uh, I think they're over 40% of national hockey leaguers customizer. As you mentioned is live. You can go design your set. And what have we been telling you for the past couple of weeks with new equipment launches? Once you design it on your computer, spend the weekend making it look pretty. If you've got any questions about specs, or especially with a new product, how it fits, the L20.1 and the L12.2 size differently on your leg because of the way they sit on your skate. So you need to be cognizant of that before you order it. You'll actually probably need a, an inch down, a small, a one-inch smaller pad in the 20.1 compared to the 12.2. And where would you find those kind of details? Well, you'd find them by talking to Cam and his crew over at the Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com. Not only will they be able to sort of walk you through the specs and how these new products are going to fit and work with your game, but they'll be able to walk you through the process of ordering it, take you from customizer to on the ice, wearing it and playing it. So when we've got questions about new gear, that's where we turn to. We'll talk to Cam about these new lines and little teaser. There's, there's an element. There's one model you're seeing in the NHL that you won't see at retail. Cam fills us in on that in the gear segment. but. Any other questions you have, make sure you give him and his crew a shout at the hockey shop or thehockeyshop.com. I actually have a question about that, and we uh, I'll follow it up uh, from Cam and you at the the hockey shop at thehockeyshop.com source for sports Surrey because it's uh, it's a little strange not to have a line that's uh, that's available for retail. And I just have a couple of basic layman questions. Uh, Hutch, uh, how are you doing? Because you got a lot going on. Uh, with the, both the podcast and you're, you're the engine uh, behind the scenes on this. Oh, that's way too nice of you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't say you were a V6. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, yeah, Woody chirps me about my car all the time. So jump in anytime you want there, Woody. <laughs> oh, you know, I was waiting because uh, yeah, Darren, he drives a Prius. It's not much of an engine. It's a couple of hamsters and a wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I like my hamsters. I'm doing great, Darren. How are you? Outstanding. It's nice to yeah, be Yeah, we missed again. you uh, last week and it's it's now towards like four and a half weeks from the recording uh, point of this episode to the end of the National Hockey League. Uh, we're uh, season. It's it's sneaking up on us, uh, give or take a couple of days. Uh, as as we know that this this episode will float uh, when you download it and when you when you listen to it. So it's it's coming up really fast uh, as far as the playoffs go in this season of three goaltenders. Have you been surprised at all at how many teams have ended up using the three goaltenders, not just having? The three goaltenders, yeah, or more. Well, no, I, I, yeah. I said right in the beginning, didn't I, that we'd be looking at e-bugs coming in as COVID caused problems, and uh, we've seen all sorts of guys. What a time of year it is! As, as you said, the the playoff race is heating up. The end of the season very close, and now, um, on short order, we've seen launches of customizers for all the big brands as well, and uh, in addition to. In addition to this true launch, which is this week that we're super excited about and love the gear segment that the guys put together for us this week, um, we've had the CCM E-Flex 5 out on the ice as well. And that's uh, why I was away last week and missed the show. Um, just had to get out there when we had the chance to be on the ice and, and get some photos and show people what we've been up to and get it into more hands than just one. So that uh, even as times are a little bit trying right now for getting both ice and access to goaltenders, uh, we're trying to make sure that the gear that we're lucky to to be testing is on as many experienced hands as possible so that we can let you know what our experience is with it. And uh, so far, so good. How long are you on the ice for when you do uh, like a, a trial run with, with the gear and you get out there and you do some testing with it? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a typical ice session because more, more, more often than not, we have to fit it into a regular ice session for the particular goaltenders. Mm. Um, every now and then, we're able to get ice just for one of our sessions. Uh, we do our best to carve out a little bit of time so that we can get some photos that illustrate what we want. Uh, it's more more not what's one session look like, but how many sessions are we talking about? And and literally, it's hundreds of skates in any set of gear. I mean, Woody and I were just talking last night. Uh, the Bauer 1S is still out there being used. Um, because we want to be able to report back as, you know, everybody gets into the comments and they've got their perceptions of gear and how it, whether, how it handles, um, you know, being used for years, how it, how the early models compare to the late models. And we want to make sure that that stuff is, is out there so that we can say, no, you know what, our experience is the three, 400 skates into the set of gear and it's still holding up well, or, you know, we can tell you what the evolution is from one set of gear to the other guys. We've even had um, you know, college and pro goaltenders stopping by Woody's garage to check out the gear and, uh, and in some cases even switch lines as a result of their, their testing experience with the in-goal sets. So it's, it's a pretty comprehensive process. Well, and uh, it's funny you mentioned that, eh? Because we're talking about like the narrative surrounding this stuff, sometimes it doesn't shift enough. And when Bauer launched that 1S, that first Supreme, that sort of first new skin, new way of building a pad by sort of having this molded skin onto a core, um, you know, sort of no stitching through the front. Like they changed the way pads were built. And, and, and they took a lot of heat at the beginning for some durability issues. And, and I would say that it was fair in terms of some of the things around the edge, like some of the, 
attachments and some of the, you know, like things that they've since dialed in completely. The skin, um, you know, uh, burn marks. We had burn marks in our first 1S set because where the pads hit at the top, there was enough friction there over time that it would actually create like a little burn mark in the pad. You don't have that anymore. They've changed that. But what's interesting in the conversation about durability is that pad, that core, still holds its shape and its flex profile after all these years. We have the set. And yeah, back then, before they introduced the, the, they improved the knee stack, did the knee stack on the original get a little floppy, a little quick? Yep, which we pointed out. Um, did we love the inner edge and the offset inner edge? No, which we pointed out. But the criticism for them about sort of like the durability conversation was about sort of the, the, the edges of the pad and sort of these little things that they've all since improved. But the core of the pad, the shape of it, like it's unreal to me how durable that has actually been. And I think that gets lost in the conversation. Like that to me is what, you know, it's almost like great bones, right? Yeah, we need to reframe that a little bit. And so that'll be part of our conversations with all our reviews this year is like, how do we define that? Is it about a stitching, you know, that wears out over time or, you know, or, or does the core of the pad get floppy? Does it start to change shape? Does it shrink? Like those are things that, that that's what I'm starting to think about in terms of, of durability. And our 2S Pro set, our 2S Pro set, like Hutch, you said, like I think I stopped counting when we were around 150 skates and they've still been used and that was a couple of years. Like it's got at least 300 skates in it and same kind of thing. Oh, there's no issues with that pad. Same with the 2X, which has now been through more than two seasons of AAA hockey. Uh, with literally hundreds of skates in each of them. So, uh, you know, the other thing, Darren, that I th- I've found interesting just in working with Kevin, who's got an incredible eye for this stuff, um, I'll send a set of photos back to him and he'll be pointing out a couple of things he doesn't like what he sees. We're not just shipping this gear out for one practice. Hey, what did you think of it? Um, there, there's a whole back and forth because you have to get your set dialed in as well. How do you strap Strap it in so that, uh, you know, you're not too deep in the knee stack and causing issues there. Um, Is there a little bit of a gap in the seal that's not really related to the pad, but how you happen to be wearing it? Um, What what is that exact feel in the glove that makes it a little bit different? We're not just out there saying, well, we don't like the closure on this. We're we're describing um, both both to the readers and and back to the gear companies as well, the exact differences that we're feeling. And uh, we've got some pretty perceptive testers. And as I said, uh, Woody's got a pretty keen eye as well for, for what he sees. So it's a, it's a deep process. And I think it lends a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of value to our readers. I want to get into the news in Ottawa. And uh, Jeremy Swayman, a friend of the Ingle Radio, the podcast, an awesome interview uh, earlier on that I didn't know a lot about Jeremy Swayman. And then when you guys brought him on board as a guest, uh, listened to him and I was fascinated. And now that he's in the National Hockey League, it's, well, I remember that guy. That guy. We we we. Uh, I don't get, so I want to get to that and just, but uh, just a couple of follow-ups. One, when you say too deep in the knee stack, can you explain to everybody that maybe is not familiar with with what that means? Yeah, sure. If you, if you've ever uh, seen a pad which uh, you know isn't sort of ninety degrees to the ice when you're down in the butterfly, it really is apparent if you're in the RVH. But it's not only in that case where it sort of over-rotates so that the pad is now sort of angled down towards the ice. Um, You may or may not like that particular uh, situation, but it can cause some problems with sealing. And one of the big reasons that that happens is that your knee is so close to the pad in that knee stack. 
And that that can be affected by all sorts of different sort of iterations and how you strap the pads on, whether it be the straps that you choose to use, how tight they happen to be, is there a heel strap going, even the nature of the toe ties we found can make a difference there. And, uh, and so that can affect the seal of the pad. Um, and in, in particular on that, uh, in the RVH, you can have a little bit of a hole there that can cause some, some embarrassment. Yeah. And, um, how, what knee pads you have, how, what, how yeah. your pants are interacting with the pads, all these things can factor into sort of the knee stack hits the ice, but all those different things can push against the back of the face of the pad and sort of tilt it over. We saw it here with Mike Smith earlier this year. He gave up a goal on a shot from above the goal line that actually went under. It wasn't just the boot break, which happens. It actually went under the shin of the pad because he leaned over to go paddle down. And when the weight went into the back of the pad, it caused it to sort of twist open a little bit. And it basically went right through. him. And so those are the types of things, you know, sometimes people be like, oh, it's an equipment thing. No, well, sometimes it's how you're wearing it. Um, in, in Smith's case, as soon as he went paddle down, it shifted his weight and put a little too much into the back face of the pad and caused a little bit of that twist. And so it, it really is important not to just, and that's the other thing. Everybody wears their gear differently. They have different preferences for fit and feel. And all of those things affect performance. And what so we're how do trying you, to, you got to try and go through as many different voices as you can and try and come with, with a way to describe it. That isn't as Hutch said, we like this, we like that. Because the reality is what we like doesn't matter. It, it's got to be more, this will feel like this and that will feel like that in a way that helps other goalies understand and that they can hopefully build a common language. As Scott Clemenson said for the New Jersey Devils goalie department, we have to have a, our own dictionary so that we're all talking on the same terms. We've tried to build out a common language so people can know when we talk about you know, a pad being connected at the shin and tight around the calf. How does, you know, how does that feel to them? Because not some goalies want that. Others don't. Some of our testers like it. Others don't. But for us to just say we like it without describing that wouldn't paint an accurate picture. So Tommy Malarducci gets a new set and uh, he's a great goaltender. He's, he's uh, 16 and He's coming uh, in, into a new season, and he get, grabs this uh, brand new set. How? And he wants to take shots, and he wants to test out his new gear. But you also talk about this, like RVH and over rotating. He's knee, knee uh, deep in the knee stack, or or Mike Smith situation. How do you dial in your gear for those situations while still getting used to your gear? Like, do you do you sit off to the side, like at a not at a public skate, but you take. 30 minutes of an ice time and you, you just do different movements and, and adjust the strapping. Do you have to go that, or do you sit on your living room floor and, and, and do different movements? How do you dial in your strapping to, to compensate or, uh, get ready for these different type of scenarios? Personally, I think, you know, you're, you're probably best to not be wearing that new gear in, in a situation that matters a lot to you. You know, if you, order your gear and get it in September and wear it for the first time at a tryout. That's probably not the best thing, but uh, all goaltenders love to tinker. Uh, we've, we've spoken to some incredible people, like some, some of the, the beer league guys um, are so uh, obsessed with their equipment that they're going to tinker in every way they can to get the, the smallest bit of performance. I think every goaltender should have an eye for what their gear is doing and how it's working. And yeah, you can just tinker in, in, in any practice. Have, have, have a think about what's happening as you're going through just a, a basic crease movement drill. Uh, as some pucks go past you, that's okay because you're trying things in practice. Um, 
can we figure out why that happened and and if it was a gear issue what can we do with it i i wouldn't be doing it on the living room floor darren because i find the way the the gear tends to um you know move on the ice just changing the position you take because of that you know because there's no friction with the floor will will affect things too much but but would but, you suggest taking half an hour for a for a like a fitting like taking a half hour of of actual ice time to uh, I know I know we're getting weighed down. The yeah, hole, I I personally it's just it's just playing around all the time. What happened? What did you feel? What can we think about it? Okay. Because you know some are going to be able to get it early, some aren't. Uh, the gear's a little stiffer than the last set you wore, so things are going to be a little bit different. You have changed your pants and or knee pads, as Woody said since last time. I don't know that you need to do a formal sort of fitting session um beyond just getting out there and trying it and, and thinking about what's going on and what are people seeing what are your teammates seeing is that pad yeah. flush or is there a hole under the boot break mm. when you go rvh and then you go then you go figure out why is it because i got a bootstrap don't have a bootstrap is it because of the way i've tied it too tight am i getting too deep in the knee stack and pushing the pad over i think it's just important to understand there are so many different factors that can affect that performance um, and maybe it doesn't matter to you. There's a popular YouTuber that, that, that has like, every time I watch him, the pad is, is poorly rotating at the boot and there's a gap, like it's constant. And I'm just like, fix it. Like every time I see it, it drives me nuts, but maybe he's never had a puck go under there in an RVH, but even in a butterfly slide, like the whole pad tips and there's like a, this two inch gap and it's like, what are you doing? Um, so maybe it doesn't matter to you. But check those things, figure those things out and understand that it's not just the pad and that every different model brand and even now as we're seeing new evolutions from the same brand within the line is going to have different sort of fit and function and you have to adjust it. I remember when Bauer came out, Mike McKenna did a whole article for us. Your friend in uh, in Vegas, Darren, uh, and, and, and fellow broadcaster with the Golden Knights did a whole article for us on because the strapping on the Bauer was so different and he sort of walked us through like which ones he thought should be tight and loose. And he had to take time in practice to sort of get his dialed in. And so just understand that as models and, and the way they're built change, sometimes you need to adjust how you strap it because it's not the pad itself that's causing an issue. Sometimes it's how you wear it. Elastic toe ties. As much as that is the trend to have these bungee toe ties, if there's like versus having a bunch of knots on your old skate lace toe tie that allowed the, the skate to get to the ice with no pull. There is tension in an elastic. And if that elastic is too thick or has too much tension or not enough gap, it can start to pull the pad over in a way that affects performance. So as much as that's a trend everybody loves, I know a lot of goalies at the pro level and, and even you know some of the guys I know older school, like they find it can affect the way the pad rotates. And so they've stuck with toe laces. So these are all things. I'm not saying you got to be Ichiro Suzuki and keep your bats in a humidor. Because that's just how dialed you are in to your performance as a, as a, as a baseball player. And I was a big fan of, of Ichiro. And I, I loved that story about how he kept his bats in a humidor. So it was all, you know, like temperature and sort of everything was controlled. You don't have to be that obsessive. But we heard it from Eric Fischel last week. What did he wish looking back at his career? That he'd been able to be, understand his gear a little more. And he laughed and said he could have cheated a little more. But understanding how your gear fits and performs matters. I've seen this in the NHL. Jacob Markstrom, when he first arrived, had no concept of how his gear performed. He learned pretty quick under Ian Clark that it matters. And you better start to realize that how you, you know, he had a tight, super tight leg channel. One of three guys in the NHL with a super tight leg channel. When he arrived in Vancouver from Florida, I asked him why he had no idea. 
it didn't fit his game. The rest of the pad was strapped so loose it was hanging off his leg, but he had a super tight leg channel. So those are the kind of things to me that you, you need to sort of figure out in your career. And and you can start figuring out as a young goalie because it does affect performance. It can be, what do we talk about at the highest levels? We talk about goalie coaches looking for one more save, three more saves, that 1% difference. What if that 1% difference is the way you understand your equipment and how it performs with your game? Yeah, and I think Woody's point about performance is, is the key one. We're harping here on coverage issues and does it leave a gap there, but how does it affect your personal performance? Because how you strap that gear on is going to affect your balance on the ice. So as you're sliding, is your weight forward? Is your weight back? Are you able to get over the puck? Are, are you losing some balance so that you're not there to make the next save? Uh, the performance issues are key, and those toe ties are, are a real bugbear for me. Um, not big fans of those, those elastic ones here. Both because if they're too tight, integration into the post is really a challenge. And uh, second, when you're pushing off using that toe box, it, 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 it gives. So you don't have that same push that you do with a skate lace. So, so many things we, we, we could talk all day about this. Well, I'm, I mean, I say well, I probably got to cut this off, but my favorite one was Alex all telling me Francois Lair stories. Um, and I should, I meant to ask Frankie when we had him on the podcast a few months ago about this, but the story was like your gear, like it's not that you needed to block. But there are times when you need it to block, right? There are times when your save selection is is in a bang, bang, play in tight. You need to get to your spot, be square, but you, and you just need to close the hole. Well, Frankie used to like to make sure those holes were closed. So Alex told me, and I actually watched him do this, ironically, with Eddie Lack when they were training together uh, here in Vancouver, uh, one of our guests today, um, where he would put him in that butterfly and say, okay, go into your block, like get your seal. And he basically took a stick and he tried to like jam it through the holes and to see where those, you know, were you truly sealed, right? Stab, stabbing him. Yeah, basically stabbing him with a stick. And he's like, he told me that Francois used to do this to them for sure. Because, man, like you better know that, that it doesn't just look like it's closed, but it's actually closed. Um, because again, you know, the difference between one or two where you're at nothing, nothing worse than being in position and have it go through you, right? We hate that. And, and figuring out why and fixing it, if that's the difference between two or three squeakers and those two or three not going in, again, it's that 1% we're looking for. What do you hate more? Getting beat after you screw up or getting beat when you thought you were in perfect position? Right I, I don't know. Oh, really? You, you think that's the, that's the, the one? Oh, for, for sure. Because if it's because I screw up, I can at least look at it and say, okay, there's something I can fix yeah. for next time. Um, mm -hmm. but if I did it perfectly and it still goes through or I know we've been, some people have been talking in the media about just bounces recently for, for some of the guys in the NHL, that one drives me crazy too. You do it all perfectly. And sometimes those are just the bounces. Uh, yeah, th those drive me nuts. I, have, do you, have I don't you, know. What, I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I haven't been beat by a puck in 13 months. I thought you were going to say that you, uh, that you never screw up. So you wouldn't know what that feels like. It's always just an <laughs> hey. perfect position. I got a 1,000 save percentage and a zero goals against for the past 13 months. And just because it's perfect calendar just because I've never, yeah, just because I haven't been on the ice in 13 months, like, let's ignore that part. I'm perfect right now. Uh, we, we do have some news. And uh, thank you, uh, you guys, because that was, that was fascinating stuff, uh, fun stuff. And it's part of the great uh, resources that we have here at Ingle Radio, the podcast, and Ingle Magazine, being able to lean on your expertise. Uh, here's the latest uh, from the National Hockey League, and the Ottawa Senators have followed the Montreal Canadiens in making a mid-season change with their goalie coach. Uh, Pierre Gru is out, reassigned, 
and Zach Burke is in. How surprised are we? And is this in direct response to player performance on the ice that they would make a change this late into a campaign, Woody? Yeah, I mean, what they're saying is it's directly they wanted Zach Burke to come in and, and have a chance to get to know, you know, some of these goalies, Matt Murray and, and, and Marcus Hogberg, who, who have struggled this year. I'd be honest, like I have a little trouble with this one. I, I got to probably bite my tongue a little bit. Um, you know, full disclosure, right? In the interest of full disclosure, we have an excellent relationship with Pierre Grew. Um, always enjoy. And he was very open with us in terms of sharing teaching content right back to when he was with the Montreal Canadiens on the ice with, with us at a CCM event and Carey Price and inviting us into the locker room after room. And, and it, you know, not many people remember this, but the dead arm VH that he worked on with Carey and sort of walking us through the lessons. So we go way back with Pierre. We think he's a hell of a coach uh, and we don't like to see this happen. So that there's the full disclosure. You know, truthfully, when I dig into this, I, I, I struggle with why it happened. I struggle with the timing of it. And the other part is like, I've heard really good things about Zach Burke. So this has nothing to do with Zach. Um, I hope he has a lot of success there. Maybe sometimes a different voice can, can help. But when I saw the press release from Pierre Dorian talking about how they felt that a change, exact words, I'm paraphrasing a little, but essentially used the word change and stability in the same sentence, that a change would help with the stability of their goaltending. And I'm like, those things are juxtaposed, like change and stability do not go hand in hand. And I've read a lot of articles since sort of talking about Matt Murray's struggles this year and how this is like a move to sort of save Matt Murray and that what does Matt Murray need to change in his game? And that is where I start to get a little snaptastic because there's a total lack of understanding that Matt Murray was already changing his game and that the process of changing his game was very much going to be a difficult one this year. I was under the impression that everyone in Ottawa understood that and realized it and that knew because this was going to be a rebuild, retool year, they, they understood that they would get a better Matt Murray at the end of it if they were willing to live with all these changes he had to make and some of the you know growing pains that come with it. And so now to say, and the other thing is, Pierre Grew was fully on board with those changes, went out of his way to learn the changes that Matt had initiated himself that he recognized need to be made and had started the process of making before he was ever traded to Ottawa with Adam Francilia, who, who you know, listeners of the Ingle Radio podcast will recognize. The trainer out of Kelowna works with Net360, works for the San Jose Sharks, has like over a dozen NHL goalies he works with. Matt sought him out because he recognized elements of his game needed to change in Pittsburgh. Listen, in a nutshell, as quick as I can, Matt Murray won two Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins playing locked in low and wide really low wide stance um, that he had success with in part because the Penguins were excellent at de denying lateral plays in the NHL. And they actually scored a lot on lateral. Like they were the first team to sort of reinvent how you created and limited offense through lateral plays. The Washington Capitals actually mimicked it, added some stats to back it up and won a Stanley Cup after the Penguins. And now everyone in the league is trying to create lateral plays. What happened in the meantime? The Penguins lost personnel that, that made it harder to limit those plays defensively. And every team in the NHL started trying to create them. And Matt Murray played too low, too wide to accommodate this new East-West NHL. Can't move, you can't play. He couldn't move well enough. He needed to find an, a, a new stance, a new setup, new biomechanics that allowed him to sort of narrow up his stance and become more mobile in his crease. He started the process himself. He went to Kelowna. He did it. He was working on it with Pierre Grew. 
I actually could see it early in the season. They were here in Vancouver for three games. I watched him play, and the results weren't there. He was, he was not making saves. But the movement patterns all look better. And I actually asked him post-game, like, hey, you look like you're working on some things out there. Are you thinking about it? And he admitted, yeah, like, I'm still out there thinking about what I should be doing. And like, you know me, I love to quote Top Gun because I'm old. If you think out there, you're dead, right? So this was the process. He had to get to a point where all these changes in his game became instinctual. And they were working together towards it. So this idea, and maybe Zach Burke hops on board and continues the process. And, and he's a good coach. So I expect he will try and learn Matt Murray's game and not just shove something else down his throat and say, you need to change this, continue this process. But the idea that stability is created by tossing the guy out that was already working on this progress, that you knew this was going to be a one-year process with Matt Murray, and then you abandon it like, what, 22 games in for him into the Ottawa Senators, like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. You need to recognize what I could see clearly early in the season, a guy that was making changes but struggling to make them instinctual. Um, and understand there are those growing pains. And the other part of this too is, you know, I, you know, there's there's a history there from the coaching side of sort of wanting his goalies right back to junior, but also a Mike Babcock disciple with DJ Smith, sort of wanting his goalies at the top of the crease. Um, and and I hope that's not what this is about because Matt Murray can't play at the top of his crease right now. Like even once he gets comfortable with these changes, maybe, but there's not enough mobility there to play at the top of his crease. And so if, if this is as simple as a coach not liking how the goalie coach had his guys plays, like. I watched their first game with Hogberg, had a really good game, but on both of the goals he gave up, it's because he was at the top edge of his crease and couldn't beat a pass. One on a dead angle play to, to Dreisaitl, hell of a one-time snipe, but the only reason he can't get to his post is because he starts at the top of his crease. So if that's your philosophy, better recognize there's give and take in that, and the lateral plays you give up are going to end up in the, in the back of the net a lot more than they were when the guys were playing three-quarter depth. And if this is a head coach determining how goalie coach, I'm not saying it is, but if there's an element of the head coach telling the goalie coach how to do his job, that's tail wagging the dog time. And that's not a good thing for anyone. Top gun, baby with a bathwater, tail wagging the dog. That was impressive. Can you put a clock on that, Hutch, when, that, when you go back and edit this? Uh, I, I told you guys that, that one answer. I, I, told, I told you guys I was going to get a little ranty on this one. This and again, could be so much more fun if we had this podcast on video as well, because. Then I could put a clock on it. We could all enjoy it. Hey, speaking of video, Woody also brought up um, a video with Pierre Gru and Carey Price, the dead arm one knee down, he called it. And uh, funny enough, I just looked it up. Our YouTube channel, everybody head over there and subscribe, please, because the gear segments show up there every week and every now and then a little bit more. The number 10 watched video over the last month on our channel is still that Carey Price uh, dead arm one knee down with, really? with Pierre Crew. Yeah, it gets... Uh, How many gets people have watched it total? Day. How many people uh, have watched that one total? In total? Uh, let me see. As you click up. on that, I, I, you watch that video, I watched Top Gun while he was answering. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I feel the need for speed. Yeah, I, I want you know the I, I don't actually I want know the what. number... Yeah, I, I, I don't want know Top what the all-time number is. I'm not quick enough on all this kind of stuff, but uh, I can tell you it's... Uh, it's over 400 in the last short little reporting period here. So it's, um, it's definitely a couple hundred thousand, I'm sure, probably far more. Woody, you must be excited. Maverick, uh, the Top Gun sequel is coming out. It, it is actually is it? going to come out this is summer. It ever? It, it is. Uh, I talked to uh, John Hamm a couple of weeks ago about it. Uh, and uh, it's really, it's, there's some fascinating storylines with it. So uh, I, as a Top Gun aficionado, I, I'm pumped up about it too. 
Yes, your hands. Four hundred and fifty-seven thousand people have watched that video. Four hundred and fifty-seven thousand. Yeah, four hundred and fifty-seven thousand. Wow, that's really impressive. Hey, just one more follow-up. I'm almost scared to have one more follow-up, but with Montreal and Ottawa both doing this mid-season, is there? Do you see similarities in the reasoning why both have done this, or are the two separate in in the rationale? Yeah, that's an interesting one because uh, I, I I think they are a little bit separate because I think you know obviously one followed a complete coaching change, a new st- a whole new staff go- you know going into Montreal, and the other one in Ottawa sort of like the coaching change was a while ago, right? So I don't know that they're linked as as intrinsically. It certainly is a you know it, it's not a great thing, right? Like that's that matches the total all time of goalie coaches dim- dismissed. Uh, in season, most mid season changes, yeah. Like it's happened twice before that we that we're aware of. Freddie Shabbat with the uh Edmonton Oilers, he's now with the Minnesota Wild, and I think Eli Wilson with the Ottawa Centers. The only other two times that goalie coaches have been let go mid season. And I, I think the thing that worries me, um, about this one, like I said, is you know, how many times do we hear coaches and general managers say, uh, you know, I leave goalies to the goalie coach. I don't really understand the position. And it always drives me nuts a little bit. It's because like, you know what? I learned about goaltending in my mid-30s. Like, why can't you? Like, maybe we at Ingle need to teach a remedial course for general managers so they don't have to use that answer. Like, hey, guys, learn about it. You can understand it. Don't just say, I don't know anything about it. But maybe more dangerous is when the people that don't know about it think they know better and need to make changes. So it's a tough one for GMs too because, you know, if all you know is what the guy you've got employed is telling you, then, you know, are you learning? So I, at the end of the day, it's not a good thing. Um, either way, I think goalie coaches at lower levels have become very much a disposable position in in part because they don't get paid near as much as others. Like assistant coaches make twice as much as goalie coaches in the National Hockey League. So it's easier to sort of, you know, make these changes. And I guess the part that, again, screams out to me is you can't talk about stability in the midst of making a change. Um, so if we start making goalie coaches disposable and, and easily tossed aside, you're going to lose a lot of that stability. And Pierre grew. I think if you look at his track record in terms of bringing guys in, I look at a guy like Anders Nilsson. We love Ian Clark here in Vancouver, but Nilsson had more success in Ottawa after he went there. So, uh, he, he'd brought in a lot of guys that were sort of his call and his decision that did really well there. And to sort of throw that all aside because of half a shortened season in a pandemic when he was already on track with your future guy and Matt Murray just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Eight times out of 10, a head coach will bring in their own assistant coaches. I wonder if we're seeing a trend here where that is going to spread from not only power play and penalty kill and defensive uh, coaches, but also goaltending coaches. Just Yeah, because there is a history. DJ Smith and Zach Burke yeah. coached together in the Ontario Hockey League and and again, like, hey, like it's important to have a coaching staff with great relationships and and that can work together, and and that's important. Um, I just hope that it's not so much, you know, like that it's that as opposed to this is a guy who will do it the way I want it done. Jeremy Swayman, can you give us the Coles Notes version of a goaltender that won his first two starts in the National Hockey League as we record this? Um, Coles Notes, uh, great mindset. Um, was awesome with us. Episode 67 of the Ingoal Radio podcast, if you want to check it out, was us, Jeremy Swayman, and Alfie Michaud, his coach at the University of Maine. 
Uh, we've already had articles uh, featuring Jeremy. Remember those little skills ball machines that, that we had everyone yes. buying last summer? Yeah. Jeremy was one of the first ones to buy one. He used it at Maine with Alfie and he loved it. He talked about how it helped him sort of catch pucks in the pocket, uh, limit some of the pop-outs that he was having earlier in his college career. Bar ballet, he talked about, you know, taking a class in bar ballet at the University of Maine, how it improved his dorsiflexion and really felt it made a difference in his goaltending. There's an article at Ingle Premium sort of not only walking you through how it helped him, but also the routine that Alfie Michaud now he makes all his goaltenders do at the University of Maine. Like ballet is part of being a goalie at Maine because of the intrinsic ties and the success that Jeremy Swayman felt he had in terms of body control, movement, dorsiflexion with the ankles, all these things that he sort of trained through bar ballet helped him. Um, but I also love the fact that Jeremy Swayman's a confident enough kid that he doesn't care. Like he'll talk about bar ballet. He's not worried about old school hockey people going, you do ballet. Like um, there's just so much to love about this kid. We've got some mindset tips from him that'll be at Ingle Premium soon. And also sort of, Box control, shutting down the net, not overextending, reaching with video story featuring Jeremy Swayman and Alfie Michaud that'll be up at Ingold Magazine, ingoldmag.com for premium members by probably by the time this podcast is live. I, I compare that episode 67 with uh, Jeremy Swayman a lot to the conversation that you will hear in a little bit with Joe Clark, where I didn't know a lot about uh, the person and then learned and got uh, just drawn in by the passion and uh, the intelligence level of, of, of goaltending. And, and Swayman's won his first couple of starts with the Boston Bruins. It's, it's pretty impressive what they're trying to accomplish by committee in Boston right now. Well, you mentioned you know the depth charts, right? The, the Bruins have now had four goalies. Dan Vladar, yeah. obviously Tuca, and uh, Yarrow have all won games, as well as Jeremy. So four goalies have won games. And the New Jersey Devils last night became another team that had four different goalies win a game for them this season, uh, with Aaron Dell joining uh, Scott Wedgwood, Eric Comrie, and Mackenzie Blackwood. So you need the depth. Um, Swayman, is, he's won 10 of his 11, first 11 pro starts. He was 8-1. He was in the AHL in his first pro season. That's a big jump. And wow. now 2-0 with the Bruins. That's, that's a hell of a start. And like I said, make sure you check out ingolmag.com for a lot more sort of details on his path to pro. couple of guys. Logan Thompson with the Henderson Silver Knights off to a great start. we got to catch up with him. Uh, and uh, his transition from Canadian college into the professional ranks. And uh, we have Swayman winning his first two starts. He's on that list for best start in a Boston Bruin uniform. Blaine Locker. It just gives me the reason to bring up Blaine Locker, who started 3-0 way back when in the late 90s or early 90s, mid-90s, mid uh, the Locker Monster. He was a more former Melville millionaire, and uh, he was also an uh, NCAA goalie coach. You guys are too young to remember the Locker Monster. Didn't have a long career, but, uh, but he, he, was, he was awesome. He was a really cool personality. As, as Hutch looks at me and goes, what, I'm young? Whoa. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I thought that, I was the old good. guy on this show. Uh, the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com brings us our gear segment. Uh, we have uh, the Sense Arena VR uh, set up, uh, bringing you the feature interviews today. So a lot to get to as we do have three different conversations. And let's get over to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports uh, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. And the true launch, uh, the customizer is live. It's been a much anticipated this uh, true line of uh, goaltending gear. 
in which the, they are out. It's ready for retail. You can go on the customizer, you can design your gear, and you can order it. So let's bring in Woody, who's standing by with Cam and the launch of True. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, where we've got another big day, big day, big day. Another exciting launch. Although first, I think we got to get it out of the way. Another my show, my show, my show. Cam tried to take a oh. few things over last week. So thanks to Cam Van Gate, KVG, for the, uh, you know, just in case Cam has any questions about who's directing this and decides to try and take over in the future, um, we've How's established who's the boss. No, it came very well. I was yeah. in that video. You were in that video. You didn't get a shirt. So that tells you something. All right. KVG aside, let's get to the big announcement, Cam. Let's show off our brand new, the True Customizer. The brand new True Pads. Okay, we don't actually have them here, but there's a very good reason for that. Um, just because we don't have them doesn't mean Cam doesn't sell them here at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, uh, here in person at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. You are one of the chosen few, one of the chosen retailers. Unfortunately, due to you know more orders at the NHL level than expected, a COVID-related shutdown at the factory, you don't actually have your, your in-store sets in hand, and as I understand it, no Canadian stores will. But as the customizer launches today, as you see this video for the first time, you can order the product as well. You can order it through you, hockeyshop.com. So let's start with, because we have sort of seen it on the, in the NHL, seen the different models, Let's have a quick walkthrough. Let's start with the 12.2 pad. Just give me your general overview. And then of course, people, there are tons of specs. You'll see some of them on the customizer. Cam is the guy to talk to if you wanna place an order once you're done on the customizer. And if you've got questions about some of those specs, he's the guy to talk to here at the hockey shop. But for now, let's just go quickly through. What can you tell me about the L12.2, which is kind of the latest version, for lack of a better term, their new version of the old E-Flex line? Yeah, so an evolution of the 12.1, which is their, their current model that they have out. Um, Under the Leflave brand, 12.2 will be true. true. Yeah. Um, basically what's happening is uh, lightening up the core, um, changing up how the core feels on the leg itself too as well. Uh, just kind of advancing the line forward as it should be. So we're flattening out those knee rolls. That's kind of the quick and easy call out right off the bat. Uh, the top of the pad has been adjusted a little bit more, again, to help improve that seal of the five hole uh, when the goalie does drop down into the butterfly. Um, overall pad seal as the pad picks up, um, aided by the FEPS uh, rotation strap itself, uh, FRS for short. Um, overall, again, an advancement forward in the line. We can definitely go into more detail over the phone, 604-589-8299. That way it can help walk you through some of those specs that will help to adjust that pad to the way you should wear. FRS, fast rotation system. We saw it sort of debut uh, primarily on the 20.1, which is another model we'll talk about. Just really quickly, your understanding of the FRS, we've seen it adopted, not by every NHL goalie, but certainly by a lot of them and, and how it aids in terms of rotation getting to the ice. To me, it almost looks like a reverse knee brace if you kind of look at it with the hole in the middle and everything like that. But in theory, take that reverse knee brace, invert it, Flip it back onto your calf. It's going to have that same kind of grab on feel. Give you supreme control right a little bit of a lower point of the pad. So basically, you still have your same pivot point at the knee as the pad drops. 
but you lose some of that slip inside of the pad as you're dropping down. So a little more connection it. as it wraps around the calf at two different points. Exactly. So say if you're someone who removes the outer knee wing, um, but you still like to have that tight fit and control of the pad, that gives you that ability with giving more supreme rotation of the pad itself. Okay, so that's the FRS strap. And that is also available. Like I said, we saw it sort of for the first time on the 20.1, which was a new model uh, that debuted last year. will continue under the True brand and, and be available through you for custom orders. Um, give me your basic walkthrough on the 20.1 pad. Uh, wait, hold on. 12.2, soft. 20.1, stiff. Face. No knee rolls. Flat face pad. Flat face pad. Stiff. How stiff? Do, you, do we have a quantify? Because I've seen some stuff on other social media where it looks like there's still a fair bit of flex, or that may be somebody who's taken that option. So there is, I believe, three options in terms of for their flex profile on the customizer itself. So it does depend on a little bit of how you want it in terms of uh, stiffness profile. Quantifying it against another pad. I can't really do that, unfortunately, at the moment. Yeah, it'll help when you get the in-store. Stand by. You'll be able to come in-store probably. They hope to have them in June. You'll be able to come in and actually touch and feel. Um, but in the meantime, like I said, you can order them through CAM. Um, you mentioned uh, some of the different, you know, 20.1, 12.2. One of the ones we've seen on Jake Allen is the L87 or 8 points. I think it's 87. L87. Um, What's the difference there with that pad compared to the other two? Is it primarily a different graphic makeup or are there different components of the build? That's correct. So it's the 12.2 pad, but in a vintage vintage graphic setup. So exact same core, exact same construction, all that jazz, just vintage graphic. Blocker options? Blocker options, uh, there's two. Uh, basically one with binding, one without. Glove? Three different brake angles. Uh, the 12.2 glove and 20.1 glove are the exact same glove just a matter of lining up your graphic package that you're looking for. You have your 600 brake, you have your 590 brake, and then you also have your 580 brake. And those are obviously going to feel similar to the CCM lines. There's some heritage shared there, even though CCM and the Eflex 5 has rebuilt their 600, and we do notice a bit of a difference, at least in terms of the way that brake angle fits on the hand, you're going to feel in the true line a similarity to what you've experienced in the past with CCM. Now, to close this all out, it feels like we're missing a line but we're actually not. Many of you seen, whether it's Mike Smith, uh, Ilya Samsonov, uh, Connor Hellebuck with the Winnipeg Jets, they're wearing a pad that looks very much like the old Premier pad. Marc-Andre Fleury? Oh yeah, that guy Flower, yeah. Vesna candidate, I mean, I'm not that bright. My show, shut up. <laughs> L4.1, you've seen it in the National Hockey League. It doesn't sound though, Cam, like we're gonna see it at retail. Unfortunately not. It's going to mean a little bit more of a pro-exclusive thing uh, for the time being and probably moving forward, period. So um, I can tell you about it, but I can't order it for you. Okay, so there you go. Uh, sort of breaking news from Cam at the hockey shop. The L4.1 does not appear to be a part, or they've been told, is not a part of the retail offers for the true new True Line. But L20.1 is... L12.2 is, L87, the, the retro graphics that Cam talked about. You can get all of those, and where you should get them is from Cam at the Hockey Shop. Call if you've got questions about specs. Uh, you've already given us the local number. What's the 1-800? 1-800-567-7790. All right. The true by Lefebvre line, what you're getting and what they're selling you is basically that handmade in Canada Lefebvre craftsmanship and quality. That said... 
It comes with a bit of a wait time. Those wait times have been adjusted. Obviously, things like COVID have, have wreaked a little bit of havoc here. But right now, if I were to order this pad this weekend as it launches, what's, what's the official wait time? Put it this way. Let's get your order in now and as soon as possible. This wait time is going to fluctuate right now. But I would say anywhere between 17 to 20 weeks. Okay, I'd heard it was that they're looking at, I mean, out of the gate talking in terms of 20 weeks. So that means order on the opening weekend if you want to get it by the 1st of September. So might be ahead of that. Hopefully it will be, but not making any promises beyond that. This is just the reality of, uh, you know, a smaller manufacturing area that they're hoping to expand in the future. And, you know, part of the growth. This is a big step for True. They've had a huge impact at the National Hockey League level with, you know, over 40% of the NHL goaltenders in the product. That creates a lot of demand and creates a little bit of a backlog in terms of getting the product out to you, the public. They're planning on expanding the facilities in my talks with True, increasing capacity by three times what it is now to make sure that the public can get that made in Canada by Lefebvre manufactured process at retail. But right now it's going to be kind of limited. Only certain stores, including Cam here at the hockey shop, are able to offer it. And it's going to take you a little time to get it. So, Cam, I appreciate this. Like I said, I wish we had one right here. We're, we're asking Hutch to work his magic with Photoshop. Cam, yours looks a lot bigger than mine. Can't believe I said that. Um, but we'll have the real thing here in midsummer. You'll be able to check it out at thehockeyshop.com. In the meantime, like I said, if you got any questions, you want to order, you played on the customizer, you're unsure about something, or it's just time to put down the money and get that order in, call this guy. Cam at thehockeyshop.com, the hockey shop source for sports. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, Kevin. Franchise goalie. Remember that. We threw out baby with the bathwater. Well, we didn't throw out the baby, but we threw out that phrase. We had the dog wagging the tail, uh, the tail wagging the dog. Uh, we have uh, now we have two kids in a candy store or candies for two kids, because that's what you two were uh, during that gear segment. Woody. That was a lot of fun to to listen to. And make sure it's fun to watch too, because uh, we actually didn't have, um, the retailers don't have their product right now to in store in Canada, at least some of the US ones did um, because of a COVID related shutdown. As we said at the factory, they're a little behind getting it out to the retailers. So we didn't have gear. Make sure you watch the video. We didn't have gear, but we had photos of it. And Hutch did this magnificent job of sort of putting gear in our hands in the video. So you can see images of the pads we're talking about when you watch our simulcast video on youtube so make sure you go check that out um we always have fun talking gear with cam you know even even if i got to put up with cam for a little bit it's still fun i'm at the hockey shop goalie utopia it's not a bad thing you know woody woody kind of uh alluded to something there hutch you you put yourself in a bad spot as as great a job as you did editing that gear segment it's now raised the bar and we are going to challenge you like we've never challenged you before like Hutch, can you do this? Hutch, can you do that? Hutch, I love it. What do you think? I love it. Okay. As long as I as long as I get to learn something new, then I get energized, so I go for it. Just don't ask me to do the same thing over and over and over again. Like edit a long podcast, otherwise I might get sick <laughs> of it. <laughs> uh, tell me why they're going to make a line for pros for NHLers, but not sell it at retail. Is it just like the old grandfather? Well, because you want you want to keep your pros happy, right? Yeah, and Sorry, think, I... think about two of the guys that are in that line. They're two of the guys that like to have 14 leather straps and buckles on the back of their pads and don't want to get into the modern age. Now, that said, 
some of those changes are starting to appear for those guys. But uh, some of the pros want to stick with what's tried and true, but uh, a company still wants to keep taking steps forward in the gear that they're making, and they think that it's uh, best for all the goaltenders out there to make those those big leaps forward. So um, sometimes you've got to uh, you got to look after the guys that are most important to you in in one respect, but then be sure that you uh, keep your lines moving forward, and you can only service so many many different ways. Makes sense. Uh, I was just curious about that. So let's get into our feature interview uh, this week. And that's brought to you by Sensorina VR. We love our Sensorina. And uh, one thing, I, I if you don't subscribe to them, follow them on social media, please uh, head over there because it's uh, it's an education. Uh, even if you have uh, the equipment and you, you subscribe, or if you don't and you're thinking about it, it's, uh, it's a real uh, light uh, bulb that that goes on when every time you watch one of these uh these presentations hutch yeah what you know what one of the things that uh i love about sense arena that i actually picked up on their channel darren um was the fact that you can do things with sense arena that you can't do on the ice we've been talking a whole lot about how good it, a job it does of mimicking your on ice experience but let's turn that around and also say that it gives you the ability to do things you wouldn't do in a normal ice time Right, We heard from Eric Comrie as he talked about stepping into the net and sense arena and just watching pucks go by so that he could learn how to read the shot, learn how to read the shooters. Um, but sense arena put one out the other day saying, you know, if you want to really challenge yourself and try something that you don't do on the ice, go into the setup because you actually set up the sense arena for um, your particular height. And uh, in this case, which hands you use on the ice. And so they suggested switch it up and uh, go in the net as a lefty if you're normally a right-handed goaltender or flip it around as a way of challenging your brain. Um, this is a time of year that we also talk about kids getting out there and doing other sports because of um, you know, the physical literacy of trying other things. Well, this is a goaltending way of developing your physical literacy. Get in there and switch it up and become a different-handed goaltender um, as you go on the ice. And there's so many other ways that Sense Arena allows you to do things. Uh, in addition, that you can't do normally in a practice, like putting out those box control lines for all your drills so you can learn more about your net coverage and how little you need to move to make a save, uh, watching angles while you're on the ice. So it's an incredible tool uh, for its realism, but I love that it also gives you the chance to do some things that you wouldn't normally do, uh, all in, in you know the, uh, the idea of making you a better goaltender. I'm totally going to do that. That sounds fascinating to me. Yeah, we've and, got switch hitters and golfers. We've got, uh, or in golf, we've got guys that can hit both ways. We've we've played with uh, different people like that. Switch hitters in baseball. Uh, why, why not give it a shot in, in in hockey? So, who's the most famous switch hitting goaltender? Uh, well, they used to play multiple Vesna trophies. Who is it? Bill Dernan. Bill Dernan, Montreal Canadiens, could actually switch hands with his stick on the ice. He had specially made gloves because he was ambidextrous. That's crazy. Incredible. I don't think that Woody can do that. Depends. Oh, do I get a warm-up stick? <laughs> In both hands? I know a guy uh, who played. There's a the guy I know, a local golfer here. He, he probably should have been on the PGA Tour at one point. He played minor, uh, the Canadian Tour here, uh, as a right-handed golfer. He actually launched a golf shoe line at one point. Like just, he's a, just a brilliant, naturally talented guy. Um, sometimes the game actually bored him a little bit, and I think that's actually why he didn't make it as a pro. Played NCAA. He actually can go out and, sh and as a he's a right-handed golfer. He can actually grab a set of left-handed clubs 
and flirt with Parr. It's crazy. No way. Yeah. Just crazy. Uh, James Lepp is his name. The Canadians will probably recognize him. Like before Adam Hadwin and, and, and a lot of the guys who yeah. are now on PGA Tour, Lepp was supposed to be that guy. And he got close. But like I said, like I actually think the game bored him a little bit. And, and so his focus was always on other things. He can actually go out left-handed and flirt with par. I think he's broken it left-handed. It's just nuts. Like just that much. That's talent. ridiculous. I, I, I was left-handed uh, golfer until I was like 31 years old. And then I switched, uh, but, but I, I've never got to par uh, on either side, but I do win the odd bet. Like when I'm down in a match and I'll say, I'll play and I'm playing against a lefty. I'll say, I'll play you left-handed for this hole. If I get like three strokes or two strokes uh, on the hole and the person always like, I have, okay. And double down, and uh, and I'll win my money back. Just a, just a little bit. I've probably told you that story in, before anyway. So uh, Sensorina VR presents our feature interview, and we are going to, uh, we've got uh, Eddie Lack coming up in just a little bit. And uh, there's there's never a bad time to catch up with Eddie Lack. Can I just say that right now? Uh, but this is around the uh, the trade deadline, and he's into the coaching, and he's got a lot of things uh, on his plate. So uh, that's going to be fun. But Joe Clark. Before we get into it, uh, Woody, can you just set up this conversation and who Joe Clark is if people aren't aware? Well, he's been around hockey for a long time, and I think sort of claim to fame is not the right word, but I, the phrase that comes to mind, sort of the, the thing that people will most know him for is you ask Connor Hellebuck about his path and the person that directed it the most in terms of discovering him in junior hockey in the States at a tryout. Remember we, the story about him driving to the tryout and just on a flyer and didn't have a place to play. And the guy that recognized right away the talent there was Joe Clark and sort of started him on that path and then helped guide that path in terms of the decisions that were made uh, in a mentoring role. Where do you go to school? When do you leave school? When's it time to turn pro? Um, who, you know, agencies, who do you work with? These like and Joe really and he's been in the game forever as we'll talk about his his resume. Um, he's got a goalie background. He's done some goalie coaching, but also while well serving as a head coach or GM, uh, real passion for the position, but also real understanding of the machinations of the industry. And so he's played a really big role. Like Connor talked about him after he won the Vesna Trophy. Um, played a really big role in Connor's path. He's now mentoring. He's got a mentorship relationship he maintains with Connor. Uh, we've talked to Helly about that. He's now working with James Reimer as well in a mentorship role. So, you know, like when you've when you're able to sort of provide that ear and that voice and that advice to a guy who's already like more than a decade into his NHL career, probably tells you uh, how valuable it could be for other young goaltenders who are transitioning into whether it's college or pro or trying to make some of those decisions. And so he started a mentorship business, and we just thought it would be a good time to sort of catch up with him. He's had some health troubles right now or in the past year. Um, and that he's overcome as he overcomes everything. And so, yeah, just a really good time to catch up with him and, and sort of tell the rest of the world about what he's doing with Inside Edge goaltending and the mentorship. Yeah, I'm so thankful that you brought us this conversation because it is truly uh, interesting, fascinating, but uh, warming. It, it, it just makes you feel... Uh, like you're have a better understanding about the position and also in a way that that doesn't make you feel like you're being left behind or I that you you're you're out of date because you didn't know something uh he is a hockey lifer uh the best way I can describe it is uh he did his uh his mask got his master's in hockey but his cornerstone project uh assignment was goaltending uh, and it's uh, it's all encompassing uh with Joe Clark the feature interview on in goal radio the podcast presented by Sense Arena VR. 
Joe Clark, a name that a lot of people should recognize if you've been following the career, especially at the on the big stage of Connor Hellebuck and the Vesna Trophy, a guy that Connor mentioned, a mentor for him, um, both unofficially, but now also officially with Inside Edge Goaltending, which is a mentorship service that you offer. I talked to James Reimer, Joe, just uh, about 10 days ago and uh, yeah. about the work you'd done with him, and he was enjoying that. So let's first start. I want to get into your history. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, all those different guys you've worked with. But let, first, walk me through so that people can get to know uh, what Inside Edge Goaltending is all about and the services that you offer, because this is a relatively new thing you're doing, uh, at least in terms of yeah. formally as a business. Fill us in. Well, um, the uh, the company Inside Edge is something that I, I started a couple of years ago, almost uh, almost exactly two years ago. And, you know, I had worked for numerous teams in numerous capacities. Uh, uh, scouted with the Islanders, uh, worked with the Islanders in their system as a, as a GM, as a minor league GM, as a minor league coach. Um, and, uh, so I've been in the team setting for a long time and it, it kind of got to the point where I really wanted to go out on my own and do something that, you know, that I could control a little bit more. And, uh, we all know what that's like to, to really not be in control of your, of your own future when you work for, you know, a professional team. Um, or even a minor league team or junior team. It's, it's tough. So uh, Inside Edge was something that actually Heli was the one who suggested that, uh, that I get into something like that. And, but he suggested it years ago. And uh, finally, I just said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a, a shot here. And I kind of dropped everything that I was doing. And, and uh, I was living outside of Kansas City at the time. And uh, there were some junior goalies that I... Uh, that I had uh, been in contact with and uh, uh, some European goalies. So I just put together a very small group of, of clients that, um, uh, that could use some help. And, uh, and they knew me and they knew what I was all about. And, you know, we had, we had, uh, we had been on the ice together, done video together, and uh, they've received, um, you know, some, if you call it wisdom or whatever you want to call it uh, over the, over the last couple of years. So they, they knew what they were getting into. And, uh, and Heli, of course, was on board. He was really the first guy. But um, that's really how it started. And uh, um, I, I, it's my belief that uh, there was a lot of good goalie coaches out there, uh, but there's a lot of goalies that really are in search of some mentorship and some advice as to how the factory works, whether it's junior hockey, college hockey, or pro. And, and I think with the years that I've been, you know, all it means is I'm getting old, but with the years that I've been in the industry, um, you know, I think I have a little bit something to offer. Well, I would say, uh, Connor, you know, looking at a quote from Connor, and obviously we talked to him at Net360 where we met you for the first right. time and got to sort of discover that relationship between the two of you. He, he says, let me put it in the simplest terms. I would not be in the NHL if our paths had not crossed. He's mentored me since I was 18 and still does. So um, when you talk, and I've talked to him about... Uh, the choices at different steps along the way from right. where, when you first met in junior, when you were working in, in junior hockey to the decision in college and the decision when to turn pro and some of the factors that go into it. And you mentioned that avenue of the mentorship. What other parts are there? Like, is it primi primarily negotiating those big decisions and finding places in that atmosphere? But I also get the sense there's other things in terms of how you're managing you know, maybe not always technical, but your game in a team environment, working with new right. voices, things like that. Exactly. There are so many levels of this. And, uh, 
especially with a kid that, you know, back then when Connor was 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, he's just a kid and they, and they don't really know how everything works. So to have someone, whether it's me or someone else, kind of walk them through everything. And here are your options. You know, when colleges came around, he had no idea. And, and a lot of the guys don't, a lot of the kids that age don't. And, um, you know, we are past cross in Odessa, Texas. Up until that year, we had been uh, the minor league affiliate of the Islanders. So we are all pro guys. And, you know, Paul Gillis, the head coach, and uh, Matt Cressman, the assistant coach, are all, all, all pro guys. You know, they, they played pro and then uh, now they're coaching. So now we, we inherit a junior team. We didn't really know how junior hockey worked all that well. And, uh, um, you know, we, we get these kids that really don't know how the factory operates. So, uh, um, you know, but in Helly's case, you know, he didn't know. He didn't know much about colleges and, and, the, and the process, but uh, I was there to help him through and, and walk him through it. And, uh, and uh, you know, he wasn't alone. There were some other guys as well. But, but mainly, um, once you get past the decision-making, I mean, I mean it's at, like I said, at several of when he's a pro, when he's in the American League, um, the biggest thing is doubt. You know, and, and as you get older, the doubt kind of disappears. But every once in a while, it can rear its ugly head. And, uh, and you need, kind of need someone to talk to. Um, and as the years have gone on, you know, I, I think he's, he's leaned on me less and less, but we still do, we still talk. And, um, uh, but it's not only, you know, where am I going, but it's, the, it's the, the mental part of the game when everything seems to be going well and then it doesn't go well, it goes south. And relating with coaches and what GMs expect and what coaches look for and what assistant coaches and what goalie coaches look for. So all of these things, all of the seeds were planted in him at a pretty early age. But, you know, you got to really, at the end of the day, you got to credit Connor because he's the one who applied everything. A lot of, a lot of goalies out there are, are given the same information, but, I mean, he's a very, very bright individual. He gets it. He's as street smart as it, as it gets, and he applied. So uh, tip of the hat to him. Okay, you mentioned, you mentioned Odessa. Um, yep. you know, when you, you search up the hockey do- DB for Joe Clark, it kind of goes right into the coaching and like the NCAA university of Maine, Denmark, right. Norway, uh, the, the coast, <laughs> yeah. uh, NHL, the yep. NHL work with the Islanders as a scout in recent years. And before that too. Um, but somewhere if I can dig back a layer, like there was a goaltender before there was a coach and a general manager, walk me through your history yeah. with the position. I mean, you know, I, I started playing late, you know, I was probably 12 or 13 when a rink was built in uh, my hometown and uh, in Augusta, Maine or right outside of Augusta. And uh, so um, hockey was very new. It was a non-traditional sport at that time. And uh, so when I got done playing the equivalent of high school or junior hockey um, at the, so now we're looking at early eighties, right? There were no minor leagues and I, and I was actually a good goalie. I was a pretty good goalie, and uh, um, if I uh, thank goodness there's no video of me because I probably I probably try to burn it all. But uh, uh, but no, I mean I, I I had talent, but there was nowhere to go, and um, you know the minor leagues was basically the the old central league, and I and I think it might have been before the ECHL was born. So I get into coaching, I coached to uh, help coach a high school team in my area, and that and that. Um, um, kind of turned into an opportunity at the University of Maine. And uh, I was really fortunate to be at Maine at the right time because 
my the, the first two years I was there it was the first two years they went to the NCAA and then the final four. So I was around some great guys, uh, uh, Jay Leach, Bruce Crowder, Dave Westby, uh, Sean Walsh was the head coach. Um, and, uh, and from there, I got an opportunity to go to Europe. A friend of mine had played in Europe a long time and he said, you need to go over there. So really the goaltending part of it was, was uh, really on the back burner. I was a head coach at a young age, probably 27, I think, 28, and in Europe. And uh, honestly, I look back and like, I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. So you, you just kind of learn as you go. And um, I wound up spending a decade in Europe as a head coach. And I uh, came back to the U.S., uh, had an opportunity to get involved in the minor leagues over here, um, scouting job with the Islanders. And the Islanders' connection was Gar Snow. Um, who was a longtime GM, and, and I had him at Maine in the early 90s. Uh, I had left Maine, went to Europe, came back for a year, and uh, Walsh asked me to come up and work with the goalies at Maine, and he and Mike Dunham uh, were the two goalies. So that's where my relationship with, with Snowy started. He got me uh, um, an opportunity with the Islanders and uh, a couple of times, actually. And, uh, you know, it kind of went from there. So, you know, in this industry – you have to go where the jobs are. And my, you know, my poor wife, I mean, uh, we've been married 20, almost 23 years and, uh, dragged her, uh, and the kids all over the place. And, uh, but she's a, she's a trooper and she's a good sport and she's very, very athletic. So she knows the game, she knows about recruiting and all of that. But, um, yeah, when you look at, you know, elite prospects or something like that in my coaching bio, um, it's been, yeah, it's been, I don't want to say over the, all over the map, but it's been consistent and I've uh, been in the game and I, and that's really the main thing is to be in the game. And uh, the goaltending part of it really didn't kick in until I went to Odessa and uh, you know, I had the minor league guys and Paul Gillis, who was the head coach asked me to come out. I was a GM there and uh, um, asked me to come out and work with the goalies a couple of times a week, the pro goalies. And, uh, and I did that. I loved it. And I really started to get into the goaltending thing. And then junior hockey shows up, uh, Hellebuck shows up and he and I just really hit it off. And, uh, I could tell he was absorbing everything I was throwing at him and it. And it gave me a lot of, uh, enthusiasm for what I was doing because he was having success. Um, he was a big part of it. I was a part of it. Uh, and it was, it was just a lot of fun. So that, that you know, it morphed into more of a goaltending thing later on in my, uh, in my, uh, coaching career. I want to ask you a little bit about the early years because you're right. You're 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 as an assistant coach, a head coach at the University of Maine, and a couple of those yeah. stints, like you said, overseas, Denmark, Norway. At a time we had Eric Fischold on last week, and uh, he talked about uh, he you know like through that same era, you know, being yeah. in the NHL and not even having a goalie coach. So you would have been a head coach in these places with goaltending experience. Did right. you see that position start to evolve in terms of? the concept of needing and the goalie coaching being something that would have value to these teams. I think the, you know, that the need for a goalie guy really hasn't, hasn't, uh, or didn't come about until I'd say, you know, within the last eight or nine years or maybe even less, um, no one even thought about it. I remember, you know, there was these former NHL GMs and, and coaches who would be on, uh, ESPN and they're talking about goalie coaches and how they're not necessary and, you know, really old school uh, mentality, but it wasn't that long ago. Uh, you know, I was talking with Ray Petko 
who was Helly's agent and a very, very close friend of mine. And uh, we're talking about how teams are going from one goalie guy to maybe two or maybe three now. And this is all very recent. And uh, so, you know, when you look at the style of goaltending, um, I mean, when you look back at the, at the goaltending in the 80s and 90s or even before that, you know, it's a totally different style. There just wasn't a ton of coaching. It's just all instinct and battle. And all those guys are, were great athletes and they battled, you know, until the sun went down. But I think it really started to, started to um, get kind of more technical in the last, in the last decade. And, uh, and I see, you know, the goaltending now, there's so much more coaching at a younger level, a uh, younger age, I should say, um, where kids are now heading into junior hockey and they're hitting junior hockey and they're pretty, pretty good, you know. And, and then, uh, you know, whether they're playing major junior or college or whatever, there's just more better goaltending around than there ever has been. And I think it's a lot, a lot has to do with the fact that there's more and better goaltending coaching. Well, you've been back in North America for a long time as part of that evolution of the game and seeing that coaching. What were, if you look back to the early years, if you can, what were some of the style differences you noticed in goaltending when you were overseas in Denmark and Norway compared to what you grew up with? Like, were they ahead of the curve on some of this coaching stuff or was it kind of similar? What were the differences? No, no, not at all. There was very little attention paid to goaltenders in Europe, for example, and even in the minor leagues. And the, the, probably the thing that I gave to the minor league goalies that I worked with when I get back from Europe and even the, the European goalies that I had, is that I, I gave him some attention because I knew how important it was. And we, we just, we just work out and we get on the ice, we'd have goalie sessions and uh, it was kind of unheard of. And, uh, and the players, the players really didn't want to participate <laughs> because they thought it was goalie work. So I had to, I had to kind of con them a little bit, go, look, we're going to do some, some, uh, some shooting work, you know, work for the shooters. And I tell the goalies, we're, we're going to do some goalie work and they'd all be happy. And we we'd get some pretty good work done. But, um, but the style of goaltending, uh, you know, back, I want to say late 80s when I first went overseas, and even, even uh, like 86, 87, 88 when I was at the University of Maine, we had great goalies back then. Scott King, Matt Del Judas, Al Loring. Uh, it was before Gar Snow and Mike Dunham were there. But even their styles, I mean, their styles are, were totally different than how they play today. And by that, I mean, I think goalies play bigger now. I think the equipment has changed a great deal. I mean, that's probably, it allows them to have more of an impact on the game. Um, you know, when we used to go down in a butterfly, there was no protection for the inside of your knee, right? And, and as you know, Kevin, I know you know so much about goaltending equipment. Um, you know, there's protection. So it's, it's almost natural where your pads are, are, are flush to the ice um, and you're getting the most out of, out of the size of your pads and getting the most out of your equipment back then none of that equipment existed so you really if you're going to butterfly uh, and and utilize your equipment you're going to have some pretty sore knees and uh you know the hip factor you know uh before post loads came in you know i was on the phone with scott king who's uh, uh a great goaltender at maine a detroit red wings uh, prospect draft pick back in the 80s and um, he's a orthopedic surgeon now in uh, pennsylvania hershey pennsylvania so Kinger and I were on the phone and he said, you know, I don't know if I, I could play today if I was a, you know, if I was a young goalie that my hips just wouldn't do it, you know? And, uh, so, so many things have evolved over the years and, uh, starting with coaching and equipment and, uh, 
Uh, but I think the biggest key is the fact that there are GMs out there who finally believed, hey, might be one of the more important guys on the ice. We may want to invest a little bit on on uh, on helping these guys out, mentoring them. Uh, and now you look at, you know, the structure, look at the Islanders. Uh, you know, they've got Mitch Korn, kind of the guy way up top, way up top. And, um, you know, they've got, you know, Chris Terreri's part of their staff, um, but they have a normal, you know, uh, goalie coach uh, at the National League level. Yeah, Piero um, Greco. So they've got, yeah, yeah. And, and he's outstanding. They love him. And l- look at the success he's had. So they have their deep, you know, in their coaching staff, the goaltending coaching staff. And you look how that has evolved in the last six years, five years, um, tremendously. So I, I think it's a wise investment, and uh, and, I, and I think it's needed. Um, you know, you, you want your goaltender hitting the ice in the right frame of mind. You cannot lie to them. You can't coddle them. You've got you've to keep them honest. But who better to keep them honest than, a, a, you know, a goalie coach or someone that they know is in their corner? So there's so much that goes into it, Kevin. And uh, all of these things that we're talking about, you know, went through with Helly, uh, going through with Rhymes now, and, uh, and some of the younger goalies that I, that I have a chance to work with. I mean, there's so much information out there, but how you say it, when you say it, is really important. Well, I was just going to say, because for all those things, all the development, and I've seen, obviously being on the ice with you at Net360 up in Kelowna yeah. and with those, those goalies and the other goalie coaches and great coaches like Wade Flaherty, for yeah. all the all the technical knowledge that's out there, and and you're keeping on top of that as well, yeah. like it's it's not just what goes on between the pipes, it what's what goes on between the ears, and it sounds there like you, you know there's that that need sometimes for to have that familiar voice. So if you are bouncing around organizations as you move your way up up the up the ladder, whether it's from minor hockey to junior, junior to pro, or the various levels of pro. There's some consistency in the message and the foundation. Um, is that something where, like, can you give me any examples of without, you know, maybe not the pro guys or without naming any names, but some yeah. of the situations that you've run into where you find that experience helps a kid? Well, the biggest thing is doubt. And whether you're an 18-year-old, you know, goalie entering junior hockey or in the middle of your junior career, 19-year-old, and you know, I, I, I've, I've known guys, I've seen guys in the dub, for example, great goalies in the WHL, and uh, they still have doubt. You know, they, uh, every once in a while, things would be going great. Every once in a while, they run through a stretch and, uh, and they just don't get the bounces. And uh, uh, they start to doubt themselves. And, and uh, the pro guys, too. I mean, you know, one of the biggest things, I was on the phone with Heli last Friday. All right. He just, they just gotten into Calgary. And one of the things I told him, you know, his game is fine. And, and I don't need to talk to him. He doesn't, you know, I, I never call him. I let him call me and, uh, and, um, and Reimer as well. I, you know, I talked to Reimer uh, maybe a week ago and, uh, we had gone a couple of weeks without talking. And, and, uh, I said, Hey, I said, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm here if you need anything, hopefully, hopefully you never call, <laughs> but, but if you do, you know, I, I'm around. So whatever you need. But here's the thing uh, with Connor Hellebuck, for example, he went, geez, I think he went eight straight games with three goals against. That sound right? It sounds Something right like because it yeah. sounds right. And the reason I know that is because 
The next game was uh, Shutout, and it was here in Vancouver. So I, I that was a story. That was a game I covered and uh, a story nice. I wrote. He had the shutout after that string well, of games, and he should have had two straight shutouts if his team didn't. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, yeah, but, yeah, but, exactly. But um, but up until that point, and even before that stretch, um, you know, I watch every game. I have the NHL.com package, so I just get on my TV and I just I make sure I watch both of those guys he was playing great, you know, and he just got some just brutal bounces. And, and the thing I told him, I said, look, I said, you know, say what you want, but I've never been more proud of the fact that I, I've seen how you're handling all of this and you're not becoming unwound. And that's the thing that he's always been good at. He doesn't become unwound when bad things happen. And whether you're 19 years old or 27 in his case, or 32 in, or 33 in Rhymes's case, that's really important. And it can happen to anyone if there's no one there to, to talk to and, uh, or, or someone that you're used to talking to, someone you trust. So that's really where I come in. And uh, I, I think, like I said before, the biggest thing is doubt. You know, their games, are their, their style is set. Their technique is set. They play how they play. And Rhymes is a totally different goalie than Helly. And that has nothing to do with our conversations. I mean, that's what their goalie coaches are for. But uh, when they start doubting themselves a little bit, um, and it, like I said, it can happen at any age, um, that's where someone like myself can come in. And, uh, and I do work with teenage goalies, uh, just a few, but, uh, and that's the number one thing. They have no idea what's going on half the time. I mean, they, they don't really know how to get to the next level and what it's going to take. Um, but boy, at the level they're at, when they, when they see a little bit of uh, failure, they don't know how to handle it. So you got to help them out. You got to talk to them. And, and again, uh, you have to reiterate, you cannot coddle them. Can't say everything's going to be fine. Just tell them the truth. Get down, watch some video, sit down with them, watch a little video and say, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you need to do. But again, how you say it and when you say it is everything. I was going to ask you, how much do you use video on that with the younger guys and, and sort of to, to, to reinforce those points? Cause like you said, like you could go through, you know, a week long stretch where you get four bad bounces and those four bad oh, bounces yeah. are, are yeah. the statistical difference between a great week and a bad week and yeah, exactly. being able to recognize when it's not really, you can chase, you can chase change pretty quickly in this league. If you feel like things are going the wrong way and you need to change. And really all you need is a couple breaks that you weren't getting. So how exactly. much do you use video to reinforce that? Yeah, I, I, use, I use as much as I humanly possibly can. And uh, especially at that age, because uh, there's this one goalie who's 16 now, uh, lives in the Kansas City area, and he's really never had anyone sit down with him and say, you know, with video and show him some things. And this past season, it's been more, uh, more Zoom. But you know what? Uh, you just get some NHL clips. You get clips of the kid himself or NHL guys or whoever, you know, I have a goalie in Europe who sends me clips. who wants me to evaluate him. And uh, a kid named Evan Cowley, who played at Denver, played for me at Denver. And uh, um, I'll use his clips to show another kid. Uh, and it's, it's video is the easily the number one teaching tool. You have to have it. They have to visualize what they're doing, you know, whether it's, uh, depth or angles or whatever it may be um you know they're not getting set or they're shrinking in the net or whatever it may be uh but typically at that age they they don't they they don't really they haven't had much experience in seeing themselves 
and correcting it. What's the most common thing you see, or does it just vary wildly from guy to guy in terms of what's the things that take that confidence away and some of the quickest triggers? Like I said, it probably varies yeah. from goalie to goalie, but the quickest triggers to sort of get somebody back on track. If, uh, if I were to show you my beer league film and there's uh, eight going in a game, like what are you looking for first? I mean, in my case, well, it would be just, you'd probably want to just cover your eyes, but. <laughs> you and I both. Um, but I, I think bad goals, you know, you want to eliminate bad goals. And uh, so what's left, you know, goals that are, you know, in the national hockey league, it's life in a pinball machine. So good luck. And, uh, and, and that can happen as well um, at, uh, you know, there's certainly in the junior ranks and college ranks. And uh, sometimes you have no control and you have to be able to go ahead. I was just going to say bad goals. Like, is there, is this where you talk about the honesty factor? Because right. do you run, do you run into some kids where it's like, Oh, you know, like this and that, and I couldn't. And like, do you have to sometimes yeah. say, Hey, like, listen, man, that's a clear sighted. You're, you got eyes on that. You can find that. Like, do you have to be realistic about like, gotta, gotta tell stop the making truth. excuses. Cause that is a bad goal. People are afraid to say that. And you cannot be afraid. You, you, you got to nip that in the bud say, look, you can't get used to making excuses. This happened, you know, there was a, it was a, you had a clean look at it from uh, top of the circles. You got to stop those. All right. So what are you going to do to stop those? It's usually it's tracking or, uh, or depth or something like that. But normally it's tracking. They, they don't, a lot of the younger goalies haven't really mastered the, a lot of pro goalies <laughs> haven't mastered, you know, tracking and it comes and goes, as you know. And, uh, uh, but for the younger guys, it's, it's typically tracking, but eliminate bad goals. And, and if they score four on you that were an absolute legit backdoor tap in, say, hey, tip your hat. It's the way it's got to go. Once in a while, maybe steal a couple of those away. Uh, and then, then you become a difference maker in the game. And then you start to grow your game a little. So uh, there's so many factors in the game. You just got to take them one at a time. But the number one thing is, is confidence and, and honesty with these guys. So what's your passport look like these days with all these different stuff? Like, is that thing just like, I guess yeah. it's probably been renewed a few times, but out of all the places yeah. you coach and all the places you work, do you have any favorites? Boy, um, I love Denmark. Absolutely love Denmark. And actually my first head coaching job was Nick Ehlers, hometown in Aalborg, Denmark. And I know his dad and, and I, you know, I, I, I know him. Not he's not a close friend or anything, but I I, I know him pretty well, and a uh, good dude, really good coach, and uh, Heinz Ehlers, and uh, uh, I would say Denmark was my favorite of all the places. Um, you know the college stops were great. Uh, University of Maine was fantastic. University of Denver, I mean, great city, great university, and uh, and I like that age. But you know the European factor, I would say Denmark was my favorite, and uh, and yeah, the passports. Hey, as you know, they're good for 10 years. So thank goodness for that. Otherwise, there'd be no room to stamp anything in that passport anymore. Well, you spent some time in Herning too, I see. Just just the one yeah. year. But so, I mean, yeah. obviously a town that I know mostly because I've gotten to know Freddie Anderson and his dad, who's a goalie yeah. coach there, and his brother, who's a goalie there too. So I was curious. <laughs> Wait till you if, hear this. In, in the small so, world of goaltending, paths tend to cross. Well, talk about small world. When I was in Herning, I coached. Freddie's dad, Ernst Anderson. He was on, he was on my team. He was probably the second goalie there, but just a good dude. Um, 
uh, you've heard of Oliver Bjorkstrand, right? Yeah. Columbus. Um, I've known Ollie and his brother, Patrick, uh, his dad, Todd Bjorkstrand. I, I was the best man in their wedding, you know, back in what year was it? 90 or 91. And uh, I think it was 91. And, uh, you know, Todd and I are very close. Uh, he's coaching in Norway now, but, uh, follow Oliver all the time. Remember when he was five years old, running around his house, breaking everything with a stick. Just, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is a good kid, really good kid. And uh, it's great to see him have the success that he's having. But yeah, it's a really, really small world. But Herring was, was um, it was a short stay because Todd had it in his contract upon his retirement. He automatically becomes head coach. He was legendary there. So he kind of bumped me out of a job there, but, <laughs> but that was okay. Uh, I think my wife was ready to come back home anyway at that time. But uh, really small world. But Ernst Anderson, uh, Freddie's dad, good dude. And uh the Bjorkstrand family, really, really good hockey family. And uh, yeah, the small world and uh, keep in touch with those people all the time. Now, um, in terms of Inside Edge, uh, yep. where can people, like, where's the best? Just check the website, in, Inside Edge Goaltending, Google that. Where can they Where can they get a hold of you if they want to find more about the opportunity to get mentorship? I think my email, my contact info was on there. Just email me. It's a Gmail okay. account. And, uh, you know, I, I am, I'm, I, I would like to add a client or two. I'd like to add another pro guy. Um, but, um, you know, this past season was kind of weird with COVID. I couldn't go, even if I was healthy, I couldn't go anywhere anyway. Right. So you just get it all done by zoom. And, uh, you know, so, it, uh, but the best way is someone just to email me and I know my contact info is on there. Okay. And I was going to say like, like with the video work and stuff, like, is this, as much as we've gone into a world where Zoom is, I mean, you and I are talking on Zoom right now. It's a, yep. it's a necessary part of this COVID world a lot of times. Right. I think, have we learned also, like there are some benefits here that you can get some things accomplished that maybe a lot of times in the past people thought required being there. Like, can we get a lot more done in this environment without necessarily having to be together all the time? Like, are there positives from the coaching mentorship side? Of yeah, I, there's for sure. There's for sure uh, some positive that come out of it. I think we've learned to adapt to the world we're in. And I think that's a big deal. And I know from the scouting perspective, um, you know, I have some really good friends that are that are scouting in the National League and uh, it's all Zoom meetings, right? It's all that. And and uh, if you can't be there in person, you know, uh, you know, that's the next best thing. Uh, from a budgetary standpoint, I think NHL teams have learned that they can probably get some things done and and, and help on their bottom line as well. Um, however, I think you need to see as much as you can in person. So, um, you know, there's a lot of factors involved, but I, I think the Zoom meetings, I've loved every one of them that I've done this year with the guys. And, uh, you know, I don't get into that with the pro guys. They have their goalie coaches and I, I don't get involved at all. But, um but the younger guys, yeah. I mean, there's plenty, plenty to watch. I try to cap the amount of time that we're on. Um, you know, I never go more than 40 minutes or 45 minutes because, you know, you know what it's like watching video, Kevin. You can get brain fried pretty quickly, right? And uh, well, my, it's like my any, brain fries a little easier than others. So, <laughs> but it's like any video meeting you have in person. You want to keep it really short, otherwise you lose. It. And uh, so, but I, I think we've all learned to adapt a little bit to the environment that we're in and learn. So there is, it's not all negative, you know, and, uh, and the zoom part of it is, is one of the, one of the positive things of being able to still get the job done, uh, even though you're not able to there, you know, you're not there in person. 
Awesome stuff. Hey, well, it's good to catch up with you again, Joe. Obviously, we look forward to getting out of this COVID world and back on the ice yeah. up in Kelowna with you and everybody yeah. else. But uh, long overdue to sort of let everybody know about this. I know we talked to Helly about it in the past. And uh, once I talked to James the other week, it's like, you know, we, we need to catch up with Joe Clark for the podcast. So thanks for taking the time to join us. All right. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, Kim. Joe Clark, uh, we wish you the best of luck and we will stay in touch. I guarantee that uh, you are on the radar, both of Ingle Radio, the podcast, well, you've been really uh, dialed in with Woody and Hutch, but uh, now into the uh, to the broader scope of, of the goaltending world. And just just a note, that, that's, that's a guy that started as a coach and then went into the goalie side of it. I know he was a goaltender when, when he grew up, but uh, I think that uh, that's an interesting path uh, towards his specialty as well. Well, it's that understanding and general manager too, right? Like he's, he's yes. worked on the yeah. management side. And so that's, it's the understanding of the industry as well as the understanding of the position and the mindsets from both sides that can help you sort of find places to play because he understands what people are looking for from the other side. He understands how to sort of tailor your resume, so to speak, to, to attract that attention. But he also knows how to speak to a goaltender and keep that mindset going. And we talked about Helly. You know, Connor Hellebuck, when he came into Vancouver here and was in that interview, uh, the stat that was sort of being talked about a lot, he was getting wins, but I think it was eight straight games where he'd given up three or more. And he was starting to hear a lot about that when he was asked about interviews, like what's going on with your game? And, you know, it's interesting because I didn't know at the time that Connor had talked to Joe, but he had. And then he came into Vancouver here and started talking about, I really like where my game is at. Like, Like the way he answered the questions, the mindset of it. And yeah, the results haven't been there, but, and then boom, next thing you go, he he pitches a shutout and he was actually less than a minute or a minute and a half away from two straight shutouts here in Vancouver. So you know, I, not knowing that he talked to Joe in, in the meantime was kind of interesting to have that, that piece to the puzzle added when we talked to Joe. And, you know, it's not just also about mentorship and, and choosing the right path. It's about persevering, uh, understanding uh, your game and sticking with it. And for Joe, like perseverance um, is something that he has exemplified of late. We didn't really get into it in the interview. I didn't know if it was the place, but I, you know, I have permission to share, like in addition to a cancer diagnosis and, and chemotherapy and treatment for that, that he's going through, um, he had an undiagnosed diabetes that actually led to neuropathy that like, basically he was paralyzed from the waist down. And in the past year, he has battled through all of that, had to sort of relearn how to walk physiotherapy, um, gotten everything treated, you know, neuropathy sort of take like like the nerves like his legs just didn't work anymore and so you know when he speaks about perseverance it's not just the experiences of goaltenders like hellebuck and choosing the right path and 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 sort of battling through things it's from personal experience and when he speaks about sticking to your game and sticking to skill um joe can speak to that too i can and and i can say nobody i have never seen anything like it nobody hits driver off the deck like Joe Clark. I swear to God, he hits driver off the fairway better than I hit it off the tee. We played some rounds of golf with uh, him, Hellebuck, Troy Grosnick. Uh, we had with LB over the past few years up up in Kelowna, always getting out on the course, course with Joe is great. And I swear to it's like it's like a novelty act. I just can't believe it. Just crushes driver off the deck, off the fairways like Tiger Woods out there. It's fun to watch. And so whether it's skill, perseverance, experience, mindset, Joe Clark can help there. you out. Straight talk. Like he he just, I get the impression he's able to deliver a message, whether it's uh, 
difficult message, whether it's a positive reinforcing message, whether it's an uplifting message, but it's straight talk. That's accurate. I think uh, I think he's really really cool guy, and uh, I would love. It's one of those ones interviews where I come away with it going, I want to meet him. I, I want to meet that person. Uh, there's there's a a few uh, that, that over the course of the the years, like uh, Sammy Joe. Uh, like, I can't wait to the next time I see Sammy Joe just to go through all the uh, the things that we that uh, would uh, Hutch was able to uh, to talk about that those kind of uh, those kind of discussions. Now Eddie Lack is somebody that everybody. Everybody wants to meet just because he's got this uh, gregarious personality. Uh, the Loco Taco uh, ad in in Carolina is still still pops up on my feeds every now and then, uh, and and everybody in the Lower Mainland knows all about uh, Eddie Lack. Uh, and we catch up with Eddie Lack uh, in our second feature interview in this episode, brought to you by Centurina. And uh, Woody just um, set the set the stage for us here of uh, why we're talking to Eddie now, because you don't need a reason to talk to Eddie, but there is in this case. Well, you know, honestly, uh, like, so like the, you know, you, we could say that we talk about the trade deadline. He's a goalie that switched teams before. So he's, he can speak to what that adjustment is like and why maybe we've seen less goalies involved in trade deadline activity over the years, because, you know, they struggle to make those adjustments or goal tone. Maybe the GMs don't recognize what those adjustments will be and pick the right goaltender for the team. So we have that conversation. Um, we talk about, um, you mentioned that gregarious personality, but there are times in his career where he's had to sort of walk that line between the fun loving guy and then what you are on the ice. And now that he's a coach in the NCAA, he talks about that. I mean, when it's business and how to get a team to play for you, right? Like how to, you got to be one of the guys you got to, that you have to create that camaraderie where they really want to go to battle for you. And in order to do that, you have to go to battle for them. And so I thought that was a fascinating part of this conversation. And there's a lot of different angles. The God's honest truth as to why we're talking to Eddie Lack this week. You know, I felt a little down about pandemic and a lot of the things that are going on in, in personal life of late. Like, it, like it's not complaining. I got a great life. I'm talking about goaltending with you guys. But I, there are some things going on behind the scenes that it, yeah, I was the world's a, a grind little, at times. Yeah, I was feeling, frankly, a little depressed and a little down. And there is nothing better than a conversation with Eddie Lack when it comes to you know, again, perseverance, everything he's been through, and the mindset and the positive outlook that he maintains throughout it. He actually, it was a, it was a tweet or an Instagram that he threw out the week we were, we're looking to record this about like how he is always a guy that's sometimes looking for the next thing and, and, and not enjoying what's right in front of him. It was a great picture of his backyard on a beautiful night with the pool in Arizona where he's now selling real estate and how it's important to, you know, he's a new dad. He's got his two little dogs. Like, just enjoying life now rather than always trying to advance it. And it was something that I'm like, yeah, I need to talk to this guy right now. And so we had a great chat and we brought a lot, to, a lot of it back to the, uh, the Ingle audience. We're going to lift you all up. The uh, Carolina restaurant uh, commercial was Laco Taco. Uh, this is Ingle Radio uh, feature interview brought to you by Sense VR with a Laco Taco with an L in, thrown in there. Taco, like conversation. Talk. Gotcha. I know. I, I I knew that. Hutch, that Hutch looked sound. perplexed. That would that would look better in print. Uh, and Hutch was raising his uh, Hutchian eyebrow at me. But uh, here's Eddie Lack on Ingle Radio, the podcast. Overdue return guest. One year after his retirement, we got Eddie Lack back on the Ingle Radio podcast. 
been meaning to have you on for a while, but you're so busy in this new world as a realtor. Like I'm watching on IG, just killing it. I figured we better let you and a new dad better, you know, give you a little time to adjust to these new roles before we have you back to talk hockey. So first off, thanks for, thanks, thanks for taking the time and uh, joining us here on the, on the podcast, Eddie. How are you? Thank you for having me, Kevin. And you know, I always love ta- talking to you. So yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a while. You're the one. There's one guy. All right. That's good to hear. <laughs> uh, um, I'm curious, before we get into what you've been up to and sort of that transition, both, I actually want to talk about real estate and how, you know, the lessons you learned in, in professional hockey maybe translate into professional life uh, as a realtor and in business. Um, and I want to talk about coaching, but I want to ask you a little bit, trade deadline time right now in the National Hockey League. And a lot of speculation around goaltenders, who could move, who might move, who has needs. As a goalie that played for different teams over the years, what do you think from your perspective is the biggest part of that transition? Like, is there a reason we haven't seen as many goalie trades in the last five years in terms of the difficulty of going from one team to another? And what are some of them in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like the hardest part is like, for goalie coming in in the middle of a season and you're going to have to get used to a new system and a new goalie coach and new everything, right? Like I, I think that it's a little bit easier as a player when you're coming in as a rental to have success. But I feel like as a goalie in particular, like, it takes a while to create that bond with your D and like the teammates and everything like that. And I just feel like one, two months before the playoffs, it's like not enough time to like really settle in. I think. You mentioned relationships with defensemen. I remember Ryan Miller here talking about like, we were like two thirds of the way through a season. And all of a sudden he talked about getting comfortable with Nikita Trampkin and, and how he was going to, what he was going to do defensively. And it kind of dawned on me like, wow, like it's taken that long for you to be comfortable reading off what he's going to do. Besides that system wise, are there enough d- d- differences from one team to another that your reads take a while to adjust? Like who's got what, where somebody's going to be like, is it all about each defenseman's personal style and preference, or is it learning a new system? Does that matter? And can, certain systems fit certain goaltenders better than others. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, just looking back in my career, it's like I went from Vancouver and I had like the best season of my career. Right. And like the next season I went to Carolina and I was like sub 90 in save percentage and everything like that. And like, when I think back at it, like, do I think I was a worse goalie in Carolina than I was in Vancouver, like I don't think so, but Vancouver's system was way more fitting for my style of play than Carolina's was, and like that's why I felt more comfortable in Vancouver, and I played better in Vancouver, I think. But it was still the same goalie with like the same skill set. You just put me in a completely different si- system that like didn't really fit me. Can you give me an example? Like, is that like, is it as simple as how much rush versus how much end zone? Or is it systems in terms of how guys defend in front of you, whether you're in a sort of zone or you're playing man to man in your own end? Are there any particulars? Because remember, you're talking to goalies here. 
I was trying to think of examples. Yeah. And the other thing too, in Carolina, I used to watch, you know, the, especially in the Bill Peters era, you wouldn't get a lot of shots, but when they came, they were tough. And I think that whole concept of, you know, from the outside, people look at goalies and think, well, less shots must be easier. Like that must be a good thing, but it's not <laughs> always the case, is it? No, exactly. And like when I played in Vancouver, I maybe saw like 30, 32 shots a night and we gave up eight, nine, 10 like scoring chances, right? While in Carolina, I maybe saw 20, 22, 23 shots a night and we gave up like 13, 14 scoring chances, right? So it's, it's like, I don't want to say that it was like <laughs> stat padding in Vancouver, but like that style fitted me more when I could play a little bit deeper and maybe the opponents were in our end like more time than we had in Carolina, but it wasn't as much off the rush. And like, that's what I felt that my game really excelled too. When, when I could have everything in front of me and I could work my crease and like be a little bit deeper and like really just feel comfortable, right? Compared to more getting more stuff off the rush with, if you look in my career and everything, I, I never felt that I excelled in the three versus three overtime. And like one of the reasons was that I wasn't great off the rush. And I didn't feel like I had those impossible saves in me like some other goal goalies did. But I was more good on reading the game and having everything in front of me. Like PK was one of the things that I excelled at because everything was in the zone. Everything was in front of me. I could play deep and more read the play while the rushes and everything that's just a completely different game for me and like i wasn't as good as that a lot of more flow and backwards sort of skating for that's at least that's yeah. how it's taught for a lot of people on the rush yeah. and so it's and i don't think it's yeah, like it's just everybody has different strengths right so you went from a system that played to your strengths to a system that maybe played away from it yeah i agree okay so i'm gonna ask you to put an analyst hat on now and I can do this because I know now, because I am now a member of the Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver analyst family. And I know you are too. So you're used to being on the radio. In addition to realty and coaching at Arizona State, you're one year out of playing in the NHL and you're already doing you know analyst work as well. So when you look around, who has a need and who has a fit? Who do you like? Like there's 13 unrestricted free agent goalies this summer, like some big names. And I think everybody points to Colorado. Like, do you, obviously you haven't had a chance to do the homework. I'm totally putting you on the spot here. <laughs> who you like, who you like for a fit in spots? Like Jonathan Bernier, for example, has played really well behind a bad team in Detroit. He's comfortable in Colorado. Do you see him as a fit there? He played there before. Would that help knowing some of the personnel, even though they're not the same team they were when he was there three years ago? I don't think they rely on the goaltender as much anymore as they used to. No, and like, I don't really, I don't know what Colorado is looking for. I still think that Grubauer could be the guy that wins him a cup. I mean, 
everyone is looking at like getting an elite, elite goalie in there, right? But it's like when you look at teams that have won the cup and everything, do you per se need the top three goalie in the league to to win the cup? Like I would say there's plenty of goalies within the last 20 years that, that have not been elite, but they still won the cup for their team, right? And I've seen Grubauer play both in the NHL and in world championships and everything like that. And he has that extra gear in him to be the guy that I think can win a Stanley Cup for his team. And then you're kind of looking to bring in a guy kind of for an insurance policy, right? So what happened to Colorado last year won't happen again, right? In that case, I I do feel like a Jonathan Bernier might be a really good good fit. But I still think that Grubauer is a better goalie than Bernier and they do have a better shot with him. But as an insurance policy, Bernier makes a ton of sense. Okay. So I'm going to throw another name at you. There's, like I said, there's 13 unrestricted free agents coming up this summer, like a lot of big names. And obviously, Grubauer is one of them. He's not going anywhere, right? But we hear a lot about, you know, we hear a lot about Freddie Anderson uh, in Toronto. Pekka Rinne is a name. Your friend Devin Dubnik, James Reimer are two other names that sort of get tossed around right now in terms of guys who might be on the move in terms of a potential trade because they're UFAs at the end of the summer. You know Rhymes and you know Doobie pretty well. How do you know this is a name that doesn't seem to be on the tip of anyone's tongue and it actually perplexes me a little bit? Linus Almark has consistently outperformed a pretty tough environment in Buffalo. He's about to be a UFA and I don't hear him on you this list. Should he be on this list? Oh, you're you smiling. Is there personal history there? Top 10 goalie list on my Sportsnet segment yesterday. Oh, because see, I only listen I, when I'm on. Sorry. Because I put Olmark in there because I really think he's a top 10 goalie this year. And when he was hurt, you saw how Buffalo struggled too, right? So it's uh, the consistent numbers that he's been able to put up in what's by far the worst team in the league Like, is super impressive. And I mean, obviously... Buffalo could get something from him in a trade, but like, why would you trade your goalie when you finally found someone that could actually like bring you places just as long as you figure out the other pieces on the team, which I still don't understand. Everything like, else. Buffalo <laughs> is still so bad because they've been bad so long and they have such good players on that team, but I have no idea why they can't figure it out. Like that's one of the like biggest hockey mysteries. I think right now it's just like, why, why is Buffalo still bad? Because I have no idea. Like why can't they figure it out? Okay. So three and three Oh and two, since Linus came back from his injury, which would kind of be to your point, maybe maybe allowing him to leave as much as you could get an asset is just a way of ensuring you're going to be bad for that much longer. I'm with you. 
if I'm Buffalo, I'm looking to keep him. But at the same time, we know how this goes with UFAs. But it's nice to hear. I didn't, and it wasn't just no. a fellow Swede raving about his countrymen. Because um, I'm with you, and we have access to ClearSight Analytics, and his numbers, you know, like for the past two years, have consistently been well above what that environment is defensively, and just seems like a guy that I know injuries have been an issue there, but like you said, is a lot better than people. No, exactly. Maybe more people should and be like, talking about. Him, I guess I'm gonna be completely honest. I haven't watched that many games with him because he still plays on the Buffalo Sabers, and <laughs> there's not that much like joy for me to watch but i watched i think i watched him play the devils uh, three or four times and like every single time he's just been like lights out and and like making those impossible saves looks easy too it's like i watched him the game before he got hurt or when he got hurt and like his shutout got spoiled with like 20 seconds to go i think but he made that this like two or three like diving saves in like the last minute before the devil scored i was like holy like this guy is just feeling it and he's on his game right so no he's super good like one goalie that i could possibly see getting traded before the deadline would maybe be james reimer with carolina then because Ned has come up and Ned has been playing so well too. And now Morasic is back and Morasic is playing well. So Rhymes can be another fit for a team like the Avalanche too, right? Uh, but Well, hey, Rhymes is a guy who has been through this before, traded from Toronto to San Jose that year. And I think he didn't end up getting in in the playoffs much, maybe some mop-up duty, but at the end of the regular season, he had like a 930 save percentage. So he's a guy that's showing he can actually go from yeah. one team to the other and adjust quickly. I remember when he got to San Jose, he actually talked about adjusting his depth and playing differently. Yeah, and, as you and like Freddie Anderson, like I don't see him being traded. Campbell has played so well, right? But like once playoffs start, I don't know. Like it all depends what happens from here on out, I guess. But I still see them going with Freddie when the playoffs starts. But I love I loved Freddie in the playoffs last year too. I thought he got a. I know it wasn't maybe the season he wanted, but I thought in that playoff bubble, as long as much as it wasn't a yeah. long run, I thought his game was really <laughs> sharp. So okay, let's transition. We've done enough NHL stuff. I, I've tapped you as an analyst. Uh, I'm worried now you're going to charge me like 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 Sportsnet 650. Although I also know what they pay, so that's actually not that bad. Um, we're what, just going to take shots at our employers all day long here. Um, <laughs> oops. Um, so this year we we talked last year about the transition, before, right as you announced your retirement, about you know you'd already started doing some work with Arizona State. What's this year been like for you on the coaching standpoint? I mean, I looked at their itinerary for lack of a better term it looks more like a torture like it like it's like being on tour with the rolling stones or something they were never home like what do they have two 30-day road trips i know you didn't travel with them so how have you evolved as a coach and how did this season manifest itself from a coaching standpoint with the team on the road so often yeah this year has been difficult uh, for everyone i think but the hardest part for me was to like somehow provide value from like not being there right like you said 
the team had two 30-day road trips and they had one 15-day road trip, I think. And uh, I've basically been on the ice with my guys a total of maybe like 20 or 30 days this entire season, right? So it's wow. been a really challenging, not only for that, but when they've been on the road, it's been so many rules with like, you only get an hour on the ice, right? So even though when I wanted them to work on specific things and like sending them stuff, they haven't been able to because it's just like, we only have, have an hour, that hour is going to go to normal team practice, right? So there hasn't been any goalie skates whatsoever unless they've been home. Like that's the only time that we've been able to get like the half an hour before, right? So it's been challenging. I've been trying to do the video with the guys when they've been on the road and everything like that. So that's pretty much like the only value that I've been able to uh, provide, right? As much as it's been challenging this year because of the pandemic, have you enjoyed the transition? And, and I guess the better question is, what have you enjoyed about the transition into coaching? What do you like about it? I just like to like be able to provide some value, right? And like seeing them grow and like seeing them become better and like seeing them winning games and like still being part of that team environment and everything is like something that I really enjoy, right? And like, I'm way more nervous being a coach, like watching the game than I ever was playing it, right? Because I, I like care for the guys so much and I want them to do so, so well. So it's definitely been a challenge. But the biggest thing that I think that I'm trying to like provide for my goalies and everything like that, that I've learned now, as a coach that I wish that I had when I played it was like when you're a player, you're in such a rush getting places all the time. And like you get so disappointed and like so down when you don't get to play a game or don't get to play a week and right. And like they're in such a rush, like, well, if I don't get to play here, then I'm going to have to change teams so I can play somewhere. Right. But when you're a coach, you're more thinking about like the long-term development of the guys. And like, when I bring a guy on board, I have a long-term plan for them while they are more just thinking what's happening this day or this weekend. While like, I kind of have to send the message to them that like, this is all part of the plan. And like, this is going to work out for you in the long run. For an example, we have New Jersey draft pick Cole Brady here, right? And his plan going into this season was, I want to play every single game, right? And my plan for him going into this season was, you're 19 years old, you're coming to play against men now, right? And like this season is going to be a season for you to grow into and like learn our system learn how to play the style of hockey and like grow into it so you can grow into a number one goalie right and i think that his season went exactly as i planned it it didn't go exactly the way that he planned it but i think now when he looks back at it he understands 
what I mean with my long-term plan for him while in the beginning of the season when he wasn't playing every single game, like maybe he didn't agree with me, right? But when I see the growth that he's gone through this year, both as a player, but also person, I think that we got him ready for next year, like just part of the plan, the way that I wanted it to happen. (laughs) When you talk about that growth, I'm curious, because obviously you had a ton of different influences in the NHL and even before you got here, Roland Melanson here when you arrived in in Vancouver, David Marcoux in in Carolina, a little tiny stint with uh, Siggy in in Calgary, um, and then Roly again in New Jersey. So a lot of different voices, a lot of different influences technically. But when you talk about growth of these guys, I get the sense that it's not necessarily about technique or tactics. We're talking about experience and other things. Am I yeah. right there? Like yeah. When you quantify yeah. growth. And uh, for Cole particularly, it was just like, He's been a number one goalie his entire life, right? And like he's played every single game and like he's been the guy, right? And I wanted him to like experience it too with like being the underdog and like have to fight for things. And like previously for him, like he's always been the guy no matter what, right? So like, games has been where he's been having to work hard and like excel and like really just put his focus on the games while like now I also wanted him to focus on practice and practice habits and like Mike Smith was like the best guy I think that exemplified this for me he was like every time I step on the ice I act like it's a game. It doesn't matter if it's a morning skate or practice the day after a game or whatever, right? Like he always gave his 100% no matter what it was. And that's one thing that I think Cole had to learn and like being the underdog and like not playing every game. Like that was a big learning experience for him. And like that's something that I think he's going to take with him now for the rest of his career. And like, he learned this now at 19 and like, he's going to take use of the, the stuff that he learned this year for the rest of his career. Well, and get a head start on being a pro. Yeah, exactly. too, right. Cause it's funny. Cause I've, how many times have we heard those lessons where the guys that have so much talent, it's not until they get to pro that they really need to work at it. It comes easy to a certain extent. And sometimes if you haven't learned those lessons by the time you arrive, it can either be a really bumpy ride and you don't get a second chance um, or it's just going to delay your progress. That no, much exactly. More. And like it was the same with the Mackenzie Blackwood too. When I played with him in Binghamton, like I could already see that he was a way better goalie than I was, but there was stuff that he had to learn along the way about being a pro and getting your team to play for you right like especially as a goalie like it takes a little bit of time to grow up and to realize all of these things because you are the most important guy on the team and like you have to be the guy that all of the other guys look up to and play for right because those are the teams that are 
successful, right? Like the teams that play for their goalie, they're the most successful teams. Like I see it over and over again. So how do you do that? How do you get a team? Because that's a really good question because we've, you know, I mean, obviously here in Vancouver, um, you know, you, you would, you had, you played with Roberto Luongo. There's a guy that wore a C and yet I would argue that Luongo didn't need that C. I and mean, we could have a conversation about how silly the idea was, but he was a leader without putting a, the C just put him in the media spotlight and caused people in my side to focus on what he said and look at it as talking about teammates not doing their job, yeah. right? Like, I, I just think that was a yeah. bad idea. But Roberto Luongo was a leader here long before yeah. that. What does that mean? And what lessons have you learned along the way about, A, goalies in that leadership role just naturally, and how do you get a team to play So for? I think, one, it, it's like you have to show what your leadership is all about. So it's, one, you show up early, you do the workouts, you like do the extra stuff to get better every single day, right? And I feel like Louis, Louis kind of had this aura around him, right? Where, where it was, everyone knew that he was a guy. Everyone knew that he was a leader. Like that was something that I struggle with myself at times with like being the guy because it's like, you can have fun and everything around the rink, but it's like once you're on the ice or once like the game starts or you're in the locker room, whatever, there's a certain aura around the guys that show that they are the guy. And like there's time for serious and there's time for jokes around and everything like that. And Louis was very good at separating those two. Another thing to get the guys to play for you that I think a lot of goalies when they're young don't realize either because goaltending is like you're part of the team but you're kind of on your own right but off the rink and like in the locker room and everything to get the guys to play for you you have to be one of the guys and a lot of goalies are seen as kind of like the lonely wolf and everything like that and when you don't put an effort down to hang out with the guys and like be one of the guys they're not going to play for you as much as they would if you were one of the guys right and that's that can't be neat like that balance between being one of the guys and and when it's off the ice then once you like throwing that switch in the room or on like you know that switch from work time to fun time that can't be an easy balance to achieve. Like, was that something that you learned over, over time, how to find yeah, that balance? Yeah. And like, man, when I was younger, I was all over the map and I was like this happy, easygoing, joking guy all the time. Right. But as I got older, I kind of had to adjust and like realize that there's time and place for everything. And when it's time to be serious, I can't be going on my own rules or anything like that. I have to adjust and like I have to be a guy that other guys can look at and say, oh, yeah, he's dialed in like he's ready, ready to go. We need to get ready, right? Can you project confidence? Not, not just with that attitude that you just talked about, but once you get into the crease physically in a game, how you react to a goal against even. Is there ways to sort of project confidence so that your teammates 
like to sort of instill a comp? I mean, stopping the puck's the easiest thing, but how do you project that to the team in front of you? I think, so I know that we talked a lot about Cole Brady, but I love his attitude. He has that like confidence attitude that you're talking about when he's in there and he's playing, right? Like I could just see on him that he knows that no one is going to be able to score on him, right? Must be a nice feeling. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> that's like the kind of swagger that I see on like Carey Price and those guys too, right? But I also remember our equipment manager, John Lofner, said, because obviously I wasn't on the bench this year, but Cole apparently came up uh, before a overtime this year. And John was like, Hey Cole, so how are you feeling? Right. And he's like, Oh, these guys are never going to score on me. Like there's no way that they will get another goal on me. Right. And, and it's like that attitude is kind of contagious and the team see it and they're like, hell yeah, no one's going to score on our goalie. So like we might as well go for it a hundred percent. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Last one style wise. If you were to describe your, like, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at Cole and he's six foot five. So I'm guessing you're, you see a lot of yourself in there. You mentioned Mike Smith as an example, although it was more about attitude. Um, how do you coach? Like what, uh, you've, you've had all these different voices. How do you, would you, what would you say your philosophy has evolved towards? And I'm guessing also it's probably different depending on yeah, your pupil. And that's kind of what I learned going through different coaches and everything there there's not one mold that fits every goalie and that's kind of my philosophy is that I look at the goalie that I have in front of me and I'm trying to make him as good as I can possibly make him with his how do you say this in English now I forgot the English word <laughs> skill like skill set, strength? skill set yes yes and I don't force my guys to like play this way or play another way. Like I have a communication with the guys and I give my suggestion for like each guy, how I think can make their game better, but it's not like one mold fits all right. Like I'm very open to having a, conversation with what works for you and what doesn't work for you and that's how i like to coach <laughs> are you still playing there's the this is the like it's only been a year for you i know the hips were you know obviously retired because of the hip injuries and the and the surgery most retired guys never put the pads on again they just like to go out there wheel snipe and sell i'm a wheel snipe selly kind of guy now yeah i i can't play goalie anymore because I know that like my hips and my knees and everything is just going to be sore for like weeks after. So I play out. So I play beer league on Tuesdays and Fridays. And yeah, that's about it. I can't play more than twice a week because I always get sore when I play more than twice a week. So two times a week is perfect for me. So that's what, six goals a week, five goals a week on average, just tormenting us out there, the rest of the goalie units? Six or seven, yeah. Okay, so there's got to be, okay, so like, as a guy who played, and this is part of goalie coaching now, breaking down other goalies, are you just walking down on the guy going, oh my God, like this is wide open, I know how to open this guy up, I know how to like, I know how to expose him, like do you instantly build a book on another goalie as a, as a, now that you're in the sniper category? 
I'm going to be honest, most of my goals come in front of the net because like I'm, I'm really good at tipping the pucks and I kind of know how to position myself for like rebounds and everything like that. And like, this is beer league. So no one else wants to go in front of the net, right? You're, you're, you're the Thomas Holmstrom of Arizona beer league. I am. And I love it. I only play up to the level where I know that I can stand in front of the net and not get cross-checked all, all the time because I still play because of it's fun and like some like tryhards and everything out there just like out there to hurt people, right? And I'm like just playing at that level where like we're all kind of having the same thing where we still both stand in front of the net and we laugh at each other, each other, right? Like that's the kind of level that I play at now. <laughs> well, if you're standing in front of the net and you've got four on me, I'm going Billy Smith just for the record. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, buddy. Listen, I wanted to talk to you about your real estate career and how pro hockey sort of positioned you for it. Let's save that for another day. Let's save that for episode three, a year from now or six months from now. This has already Good. been longer than I promised. You know, that's my MO to take more time than I actually promised I would take. Um, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Uh, really appreciate it. You're a talker. I'm a talker. I stutter. So it takes a little bit longer time so, sometimes. So, so, so yeah, it was bound to go over. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate this. Good to see you all the best uh, as the new dad and continued with the real estate. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Dogs, kids, son, hockey. There's a light. Life is good for Eddie Lack, and you're right. It the, like that is one you just you smiling all the way through, you, and then you realize I've been my, my face is cramping up here. I've been smiling the whole time that I've been listening to this thing. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> that's probably a good way to wrap up this episode because we're flirting <laughs> with the record here in terms of <laughs> the total length. Uh, as as poor Hutch has to edit this all together. Um, the real grind of this podcast. Uh, we, Yeah, I don't know what the record is for length, but we got to be flirting with it. Um, but couldn't think of better guys to spend all that time with in terms of mindset and positivity than Eddie Lack and Joe Clark. So it's well worth it. And Cam at the hockey shop, I guess. But yeah, Of course. Uh, Hutch, how, how are you doing over there? Like, there's there must be a point during when we record this where you, you'll go from, I'm having a great time laying this podcast down to, oh my goodness, I have to edit this whole thing. It's okay. I probably should figure out how to do this live. I sort of yeah. thought maybe we could all stop the recording halfway through one of Woody's answers and uh, I could start editing the first half and then I could probably be done the first half by the time Woody's done that answer and then, you know, pick it up again. But it's not so bad, boys. It's great fun hanging out with you and listening to it uh, again and again and again as we edit the, it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as you listen to it again. Uh, the, the Ottawa answer may have uh, been one of those uh, signature moments. On, on this podcast it, it, I, I think the whole podcast not just this episode yeah yeah we could publish that as a sort of a separate mini episode if we had uh, the video too th we should have the video just because you can see like how animated i was and there's hair flying everywhere and it was just ah! we need to get you one of those uh those uh hair uh ties that that some of the guys are wearing there you go. if we get to a million subscribers on the youtube channel maybe we'll post woody going Let's crazy do it.
That would be be fun. Uh, we uh, we do want to thank uh, Joe Clark. We want to thank Eddie Lack, uh, Cam, uh, Matt Whiff over at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports story. Do not make a goaltending gear decision without talking to somebody over at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. Seriously, even uh, just a, a basic, uh, if you already know what you like in a glove, talk to them and because they may have something just to, to, to make you think or it's always good to have reinforcement that you're doing the right thing. Give them a shout uh, because uh, Cam would love to answer the phone because he gives out that 1-800 number all the time. Now now he's got to answer it. It's it's awesome. Uh, thanks to Hutch and Woody. And thanks to you, the loyal listeners uh, who follow along on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports. Surrey, when we talk to you again, it will be after the trade deadline 2021. What do we have in store? We cannot wait. <laughs>